Ladies and gentlemen, we, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No, because I'm going to get him. of Billy Graham, a sad day in America. Welcome to the Hagman Report. Today is Wednesday, February 21st, 2018. It's uh, it's a sad day in America. Billy Graham was a giant in American political life. He was a counselor to the presidents, uh, to many throughout the uh, political, geopolitical world, and to all of America. Again, welcome to the Hagman Report. It is, uh, again, February 21st, 2018. I want to thank you for joining us. To watch the Hagman Report, simply go to hagmanreport.com, click on the watch button there, it'll take you to a page. Very easy to understand the, the, uh, uh, the segments and the full show was uploaded to YouTube shortly thereafter, shortly after the broadcast. No, I just want to, uh, go through a few emails. Yep. We get a few of these every day and I got to answer the ones from today. But, uh, Linda M sent us an email. Can't watch live. You spend all that money to have a nice studio. Why waste it? As mo- most people don't like listening to the radio. And, uh, Linda M., I don't know if you're unable to watch or you don't know that the video is still available. But again, go to hagmanreport.com. On the right hand side is the watch live. And then also, if you don't watch live, our shows are uploaded to YouTube, segmented as well as the full show. Uh, by showtime today, we have all videos yesterday segmented and the full show up. So you can watch them archive there. We got another email from, uh, a listener named Susan P who says she has an issue streaming the video while on Firefox. And she doesn't know how to fix this situation. Right. We, we, we did check all of the platforms. Safari, Firefox, uh, Internet Explorer, Google or Chrome, uh, Everything you could think of, and it comes up on all of the computers. Uh, spent a lot of money, a lot of time. Thank you, Eric Tech, Eric the Tech, for doing it. Uh, really, there shouldn't be any issues. Simply go to HagmanReport.com, click the uh, HagmanReport.com/slash/watch, and from there you just click the play button. It's equal. It's just like YouTube. So we just want to say that it's available now. If you are having um, issues with the live play. You know, I, I don't know what, I just don't know what to tell you. It, it's, it should be very simple and you should be able to watch this as well as on your iPhones. Okay. Eric the tech just, uh, did say that it's most likely a flash issue on your end. So having said that, uh, you might want to update your flash player, but do so from a reputable source. All right. A lot of headlines today. By the way, today we are going to have at the bottom of the hour, we're going to have Coach Dave Dobbenmeyer, who was featured, no less, on Howard Stern. When I say featured, a clip, a a, uh, audio segment from Coach Dave Dobbenmeyer was played on the Howard Stern show the other day. I think it was maybe yesterday. As a matter of fact, I think Eric might have uh, almost hit a bridge above him as he's listening, was scrolling, doing some channel surfing, and suddenly heard Dave Dobmeyer's voice, and he thought, ah, that's pretty interesting. And here it was on Howard Stern's radio program. So Coach Dave Dobmeyer is going to be joining us at the bottom of this hour. And then, of course, we were going to have Jack Posobiec following Mr. Dobmeyer, and then uh, 
uh, Stephen McKenzie, who's a congressional candidate, McKenzie for Congress.com. And we're going to hear what he wants. Yeah. If he is elected, what his plans are, exactly. what the issues that are important to him are. And it, uh, it, it's some good stuff, especially when what we're dealing with the, the Second Amendment, immigration, peace through a strong national defense. We're going to get into all that with and him. And that's going to be good. And, and then we're going to close out the program with Pastor David Langford. So it's going to be a great show. Buckle up, buckle in. And, um, just that, thanks for joining us. And don't forget, we have two additional programs, Doug Hagman Radio Show from 9 to 10 Eastern Time in the morning on Global Star and Blog Talk Radio. Everything can be found off of HagmanReport.com. And then Joe and John chime in from 2 to 3, the Hagman Daily Show. Again, accessible via Blog Talk and Global Star or just simply HagmanReport.com. It's all there. HagmanReport.com is your one-stop shop for everything show-related. So, 99 years old, Billy Graham, a giant in American 99. political life. 99? 99. Yeah, is that what you said 98, I think. I don't, no, I'm pretty sure. Thank you, Eric. Well, then I'm hearing voices. Yeah, that's that. But, but nonetheless, you know, the, uh, as we look over the, uh, geopolitical landscape and, and, and the, uh, societal erode, the erosion of society, isn't it something that we're seeing that uh, we're, we're seeing the attacks against against our country or against our nation against the America the uh, nuclear family the the biblical family we're seeing this this um, promotion of homosexuality we're seeing this promotion of of everything that is in my view wrong with the life of uh, society. I mean, how it, the perversions out there, the celebration of the perverse lifestyles, the celebration of abortion, of, of infanticide, essentially. The uh, when you look at all of this, Billy Graham was a stalwart and, and stood, you know, in place of that uh, against that that push of the erosion of of our family, the the family unit, the uh, everything that, that 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 again is bad for. Or anti-family, anti-biblical, and it's a sad day because who, who is there to replace Billy Graham? Of course, his son uh, is as is really come through, but but uh, we feel the loss. So there's a couple of great pieces. One uh, on the Christian Science Monitor, it's a good piece if you um, if you have a chance to read that, and it, it does. It, it talks about Billy Graham in the pantheon of evangelists from Apostle Paul to Billy Sunday. No one preached the gospel to more souls than Billy Graham, who used stadiums and mass media as no one before or since. And, uh, you know, many people have made the argument. I've seen today a number of things from he's a Freemason who is promoting George Bush's New World Order plans to at the same time he probably has led more souls to the Lord than any other uh, televangelist. So I've seen the argument from both sides. Either way, uh, it is a sad day. Many people grew up and had followed Billy Graham. He's been around and relevant since the end of the 40s, early 50s, and it is um, a sad day for the American church. Yeah, uh, it is. But he was sick, he was old, and uh, many people had even said they remembered him uh, announced that he, he died years ago, like some kind of Mandela effect. I thought yeah. that was pretty interesting, but... 
Nonetheless, indeed, uh, we we do have we obviously we had uh, one of the issues, and I know you touched on, on your show, you and John today, Twitter. Yeah, and it's interesting because Metro, a, a Metro dot. Oh, did UK. you read that stupid article? What really? What is up with that? It, it, the t- the headline on that is Twitter just purged Russian bots, yeah. and Trump fans are crying as their followers vanish. I didn't lose. Okay. Any well, uh, first of all, it. yeah, um, and, and it mocks. It's a mocking article. It is. So much for your yeah. MAGA, you know. Right. I, I saw that. That was one of the first articles I read this morning. And Twitter, and it's not only uh, the Russian bots. We're going to talk about some other YouTube and Twitter censorship, but apparently um, a big uproar. They're calling this a conservative Christian purge from Twitter as they are banning pro-Trump accounts and using the uh, Russian bots as an excuse to do so. Yep. Now, I don't know that they're asking these accounts if they are bots or asking them to verify their authenticity. It seems like they're just indiscriminately banning anybody who who they want. And we've seen through Project Veritas and other undercover operations that have exposed Twitter that Twitter already has an inclination to ban Trump supporters. We already know that, what was it, over 50% of the stories about the Hillary Clinton email case were suppressed on Twitter during the election. We've seen numerous bannings and shadow bans on Twitter. And then the the, the insane Russian bot craze, um, which... I think is really gaining steam on the heels of this 13-person Robert Mueller joke of an indictment. And I don't know if you saw this, but Mark Dice did a video on this this morning. It really made me angry. Do you see the CNN reporter going to that old lady's house? I you, did not. You shared Russian social no, media no, posts. No, no, no. Wait, wait a minute. Mark Dice did this? Or no, he did a video, did a video covering the CNN's okay. coverage All right. of them harassing an old lady, a 70-year-old lady, putting microphones in her face hey, saying, hey, you're, you're with the Russians. You know what I mean? Well, well, again, look, um, th- this is nothing new, and we are fighting that that claim that that the assertions that we are, are somehow adherent to or associated with the pro-Russia or the Russian uh, 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 this conspiracy. Which is ridiculous. Now, I've, I've seen these claims made against people like Dan Bongino and others who, who say that, that, that they or we are agents for the Russians. And, and people might laugh that off and, the, you know, I can almost hear people's eyes rolling back in their head saying, oh, come on, you know, just blow that off. But, but it's, it's tied closely, tied at the hip with the fake news in quotation marks, air quotes, shall we say. It's tied closely at the hip with the um, censorship issues. It's it's tied closely at the hip with uh, the Twitter and social networking censorship. So you have to look at this not just as one issue, but a larger issue. Joe, the, the, you know this um, with, with Twitter, this conservative or the censorship of conservatives, and, and even consider the IRS too it, it, to some extent. Oh yeah. You know, when the IRS It's a full-blown the, uh, attack. That, that it is. It and, is. and this is the, the latest, what they're doing today now. Obviously, the Russian bot censorship is uh, story is more important than what I'm about to get into. But uh, YouTube and Twitter, okay, there's been a lot of speculation, a lot of uh, stories circulating that some of these kids who are the allegedly the Parkland school shooting victims who are being paraded around by the media touting their anti-Trump, anti-gun, that the CNN's anti-gun and, and anti-Trump sentiments are crisis actors. Now, a, was a state senator or a congressman in Florida 
had an aide who, who, in a private email to another state politician, said, you know, these kids on CNN are actors. He was fired. And we see YouTube is now um, censoring videos, actual news reports where this kid was in, this, that this kid was in, this uh, David Hogg, I think his name is. Yes. He was in these news reports from legitimate news sources and local, you know, ABC or CBS affiliates in California. And people are putting these together, saying he's an actor, putting it on YouTube. Well, they're actually cens- censoring the original news clippings. And they're deleting them from YouTube and deleting them from Twitter. Any reference to this guy being a crisis actor. Now, whether he is or isn't, is irrelevant. It's the ability to have the discussion and present evidence and make the decision for yourself. And that's being taken away. And we see this hyper-censorship with issues like the school shooters uh, or these investigations from Las Vegas to the Parkland shooting. And it's a very disturbing trend, and it's not. And we see it with other things too. And it's just probably uh, we don't see it as much in the everyday life. More when we get these big stories or stories that people are trending that people uh, seem to find their way to. Right. And it's really troubling to watch. You know, the, the stuff's basically being scrubbed in real time. Uh, looking at some of the threads and the links on the internet. You know, you, you see all these different channels creating videos. There was one video that was made by. Uh, a YouTuber, and YouTube has apologized for its top-trending conspiracy video that claimed Parkland survivor is an actor. YouTube actually issued a statement on this after the video was trending number one on YouTube for hours. YouTube finally removed a video and suggested that one of the high school students who survived the Parkland shooting was an actor. Now, what's interesting about this is YouTube says the news, uh, uh, the video came from a legitimate news source, but it was their the, the description of that video that violated their terms of service. Okay, so let's let's talk about this for a second here. Um, they are not because of the matter this be the subject matter that's being discussed. They are censoring the entire piece. Is, is that yeah. what I'm hearing? Yeah. All right. So, so regardless of from an actual news source from before he was okay. in, involved in this. So, so what 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 is that? What is the claim there? Well, okay, they're saying this kid is an actor because. Uh, the, the the clip shows footage of him being interviewed right. in Redondo Beach, California, sitting behind the CNN desk and, and other. It's putting together, you know, basically his history of dealing with CNN and being on the news. And what YouTube did, a source familiar with the matter, noted that while the footage is from authoritative news sources, the description violated YouTube's policies, so it removed it uh, as soon as the company was aware of it. And it's removing a number of these videos, even legitimate videos that this kid was in is being removed. All right. Um, All right. Showing the original so, okay. of the news. The news All right. Story. Which brings us to the larger issue. And, and I believe the larger issue here is definitely censorship. Yep. And, and look, I realize that Twitter, um, uh, Facebook, others, the, the platforms, of course, are, I, I would say, privately owned. I don't think that there's any, any problem with that, with that description, although they're used massively. So an argument could be made, well, this is our house, we'll do, we'll play by our rules. But those rules are being guided and molded by the, um, uh, by the progressives. It, it seems to me that the progressives, the globalists, the people out there who hate the truth want to just stifle any debate whatsoever, intellectual or otherwise. So it is a really a First Amendment issue, I suppose, um, in the larger sense, but I suppose just as well that they can do what they want, um, being it, being it's their venue, it's their house, shall we say.
such as if YouTube is privately owned. Well, we're um, going to see some uh, litigation come from I, these. I, I believe that to be the case, yeah. Because it's one thing to have um, judgments on your business, what you will allow, what you won't allow, but it's another thing to only enforce it on one side of the aisle okay, or discriminate And that's a good point. So, so what's the difference between a, a baker, a private business, uh, being compelled to or penalized for not uh, compelled to either either bake a, a wedding cake for a homosexual marriage or being penalized for not doing so. W- what's the difference between that and you know, why is that okay? Well, you can't have that double standard. Uh, so, well, the, we were, we're pointing that out, right? I right. Mean, that's what that's, that's just, it is, it's exactly what it is. It's the same difference. If you're going to force a a religious baker to bake homosexual cakes. Against his conscience, right, right? Then you have to allow, you know, both sides of opinions on, on, on Twitter. It's that simple. But we don't believe that people should be forced to do things against their will. So if the Look, law if I, was applied right, evenly, right. It, it would be a different story, but it's always a double standard with these people. And it, I, I look if you have a religious ex- you know objection to uh something like that i i you look this is America you should not be forced to do something against your religious will your your conscience or face penalties i don't believe that the, the, that i don't think that's the right thing to do um but yet we're seeing it it's it's we're we're seeing it but the progressives and, and here's the problem with conservatives the progressives versus the conservatives the progressives don't play by the rules they will they will achieve attempt to achieve their mean, their goals by any means necessary the conservatives we play nicer than the progressives and it's time to really take the gloves off and stop playing nice i believe because how else are you going to win and coach dave dobmeyer has talked about that the last time he was on how else are we are we going to win the war win the battle if we play by a set of rules that no one else is following it just doesn't make sense to me but that's just what I'm saying. So interesting stuff there. But, uh, yeah, and I'm sure this is just the beginning. We're going to see yep. a lot more. I got a, there's a, a piece up on Fox News Twitter lockout. Apparent bot purge sparks outrage from conservative users. <laughs> and you see, you don't have any, uh, you know, Obama supporters or anti-Trump supporters complaining about, right. uh, being locked out of their account, losing followers or, or being tagged as a bot. It's only on the, the pro-Trump, the conservative, the conservative pro-Christian right. side. Conservative Christian side. And, yep. you know, just like Rahm Emanuel said, never let a good crisis go to waste. I think this is directly related. And the, the Robert Mueller indictment gave them an excuse to do this. I guarantee no Russian bots were targeted during this. It was probably all conservatives. Uh, I, I, I agree. And it's interesting too, because the uh, deep state, the the progressive mentality. You know, it's one thing to identify and know who your enemies are or who the enemies of the constitutional republic, the constitution, your freedoms, your liberties. It's one thing to, to know who they are, but it's something totally different when it seeps into your own camp. And we just got news today that CPAC had canceled the panel on social media censorship. Blocks the Gateway Pundits, Jim Hoff, who we've had on our program, from speaking and slurs Trump supporters. This, of course, uh, featured in the Gateway Pundit. So consider this. Pam Geller uh, put together this panel at CPAC to address the social media censorship. Jim Hoft was going to be speaking on that. They didn't want Jim Hoft to be speaking on this. They didn't want to broach the subject based on everything I, I, I saw. So they were forced, or Pamela Geller had no no chance, no no other alternative but to uh, to um, um, disband the panel on 
free speech and social media censorship. You don't have a clear understanding of what's going on there. No, it's still foggy right now. It's still new, but it's something that we're looking at, and we uh, we do look. We like a lot Jim Hoft. We, we like him. He's a great man. He's the Gateway Pundit. It's a great source of information. So to see this happen within your own house, within the house of the conservatives, is troubling at best. So, but but expect more of this. The fight is on. It's it's raging right now. There is a push toward censorship. There's a push toward um, the takedown of our nation. As I said, I think this is what this is what it, this is all about. Don't look at all of the events taking place in 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 a vacuum. This all of these are interrelated because the objective is a big one, and that's to destroy our republic. It's to destroy, and in order to do so, you destroy the family unit, the cohesiveness of the family unit. You pervert the family unit by, uh, by through the homosexual agenda. You pervert the, uh, you pervert marriage. You, you call infanticide. You call that pro-choice. You call it a woman's reproductive right. You, you use language. You weaponize language. So all of this combined in my view anyway, is what we're facing today. And it's only going to get worse. So yeah, that's that's what I'm that's my story and I'm sticking to it. Yeah, um and one other thing that I just can't it's just really bothering me is the um and we've been talking about it all week, how the media is throwing these children out there as part of this Parkland shooting gun. They're, they're weaponizing our children. They are, and and Stephen Menking was on our daily show today, and he described it as basically, basically like creating a human shield. These people who are parading these children out are are uh, coaching them as to what to say, what to believe, and making sure that they not only throw out their gun banning, uh, you know, uh, talking points, but also their anti-Trump talking points. And what's different about throwing these kids out there is that apparently nobody is allowed to question or criticize them or anything they say. Otherwise, you know, they're basically as bad as the school shooter was, according to social media and the left. And that's not going to fly. You can't have, you know, you, you can't uh, project your beliefs onto a group of, of underage children and have them, you know, above reproach, spitting out nonsense on your TV shows and then ridicule people when those children are rightfully criticized. And we see this huge gun push, and many people are starting to worry about where Trump's head is with this. He has talked about banning bump stocks. He said he might even consider raising the age of owning a firearm to 21. And people are concerned that there might be um, other moves against the Second Amendment by this president, which obviously would present a real problem, because just about everyone in his base is a gun owner, I imagine, or at mm. least... All gun most gun owners fall under the category of being in, you know, his base. But how is this going to play out? Also, Trump was pretty harsh on Jeff Sessions today in a Twitter, in some Twitter post, where he said, "How come the Obama administration is not being investigated for their Russian collusion?" Ask Jeff Sessions. Where is Jeff Sessions? Is what he was tweeting. And, and I, I think and, that this is what uh, Jerome Corsi yesterday was talking about. In a sense, the fight is on. The pushback is on. The the robust counterattack is on. And continue with that because that's well, no. I mean, that's interesting. Yeah, when we go back to what Trump said about Sessions, if he known he was going to recuse himself in the Russia investigation, he would have never hired him in the first place. And I think that needs to be reiterated. And at this point, there's been so much turnover in that uh, White House. House. Why not? That's a good point. It, it would be like one of us saying, well, we'll show up, but we're not going to 
read this or we're not going to do this or whatever whatever right. this would be, but it would be the majority or at least in a very important uh, segment of, of one's job. You're, you're exactly right. So Donald Trump he does realize this. And doesn't that, wouldn't you say that that would speak to the authenticity of the, or, or reinforce the fact that Mueller and company are not working oh, yeah. for the good guys? <laughs> well, you know, and always an argument can be made that 12D chess is being played and this yeah. is, you know, him, you know, secretly luring his prey to the slaughter, which I don't believe for a second. Um, but yes, it, it, we, we should, Trump should get an attorney general in there who's actually going to do something, who is able to do something, who hasn't removed himself from the investigation. And it's really frustrating to continue to see, uh, as though we hear sessions in his press conferences and interviews say, yes, we're going to, you know, this is not going to go unpunished. We're going to investigate this. We still don't see any action. And people like Bruce Orr and Peter Strauch are still employed at the FBI, and we still have all these swamp monsters inside the FBI and DOJ. And at the very least, get these people out of positions of power. Suspend them with pay. I don't care. Get them out of the FBI. Show us that you're willing to do something. It's ridiculous that these people still have jobs after the crimes that they've committed are open for you know, the whole public to see. But here they are still getting taxpayer dollars and pensions for, uh, from your, your pockets. Exactly. For their corruption. Exactly. Un, un, unacceptable. And, and here we are, day number 398 in the Donald Trump presidency, clearing, cleaning the swamp. I believe that, uh, that is taking place. And that was the subject, by the way, of my show this morning uh, about the broader sense of what is taking place. And I think that we have to look, Joe, uh, uh, really, I, are you prepared? Uh, let me pose this as a question. Are you prepared, uh, to, to say, or do you believe that this, this summer might be an ugly one in terms of social uprisings, chaos, and what have you. I don't you. know. I can never judge those things. I mean, uh, we saw this huge paid push with these Antifa people. The resistance die out and fizzle right. out. Um, I don't know. I, I, you know, we have the midterms. There's a lot of things going on. Uh, but one thing I wanted to make sure we talked about in this segment before we go to break, I, I know that this statistic is not 100% accurate, but it is pretty accurate. Apparently, according to Wikipedia... The USA has the number one gun ownership per capita, but it is listed as there are 91 countries more violent than right. the it's USA. Right, it's behind Norway, and, and there's a big... And this is something that's never report. talked about. You know, it's always ban the guns, ban the guns. But when we look at the USA having more guns than any other country on the planet, and pretty much, you know, what, some of the least crime being with those guns... We have to put things into perspective. We're going to be right back with Coach Dave after this break. Don't go anywhere. edition of the Hagman Report. You know, it was so funny yesterday. Eric the Tech driving and uh, on his on his vehicle radio, scanning the channels and suddenly hears the voice of Coach Dave Dobbenmeyer and thought, huh, Coach Dave on on satellite radio. And of course, uh, locking onto that station, further listening to that, uh, 
realizes that actually it's Howard Stern, the Howard Stern radio show, and playing the clip of Dave Dobbenmeyer. And Eric tried to regain control of his vehicle um, after uh, almost hitting a bridge abutment realizing what was going on and listen to it and then finally isolating the clip and sending it to Coach Dave Dobmeyer. So he's going to have a reaction to that. It's pretty interesting because when you look at things, we collectively and individually are making a difference. It's a good thing. We're making a difference out there in public opinion, in my view. Joe, I'm going to toss it to you, but I think that's that's really the takeaway from this is we are making a difference. We are reaching people, and we are scaring people. We're scaring people to the extent they are afraid of the truth coming out. That's what they're afraid of. When I say we're scaring people, they're afraid of the truth. Well, hence the censorship on Twitter. Yep. Paul Joseph Watson did a great video today on the Islamization of Sweden yep. and how they've criminalized the truth in favor of public correctness. And it's only a matter of time before they... Political correctness. Political, what did I say? Public. public. But, but political correctness. Almost interchangeable when you, yeah. when you get right down to it. But but again, that, that goes to the Twitter the censorship issue on Twitter. And it's amazing to me when people disagree with what, what you say. You guys hear me? Oh, there we go. Yeah, we can hear you, Coach. Yes. Didn't know you were on, but Coach Dave Dobmeyer from CoachDaveLive.com. Welcome to the Hagman Report, sir. I'm wearing a duck. I got, I got some woman talking in my ear over. You guys quit banging up in there. <laughs> you know what? You know what? Never, never gets old, brother. <laughs> I had I had to do it, brother. I did, I just had to do it. And I didn't mean to butt in. I was no. I was hey. seeing myself on the screen. And I didn't know if you guys could hear me or not. That's all. That's or, or, all uh, with. Yeah, that's fine. Or on the other side of the aisle, we'll do it live. <laughs> Dude, that's right, brother. Hey, listen. Can I do a shameless plug here, real quick, Doug? Because I'll get into this and I'll forget about it. Our Occupy 2014 uh, conference, uh, 2014, 2018 conference we're having in Akron, Ohio, where. Doug and Joe Hagman and John Robertson and, and, uh, L.A. Marzulli and Russ Dizdar and Bill Fetter. You guys had Bill Fetter on your program and we've were, been able to get Bill to be a part of this one. Pa- Dr. Mike Spalding, Pastor Ball, uh, Paul Bagley, Mark Trump. You guys don't even know who Mark Trump is. He guy, he's a guy who knows all the AI, the artificial intelligence and everything that's going on. Guys, this is your, folks, this is your chance to come and look Doug and Joe in the eye and tell them how much you appreciate their show and everything that, that, uh, that they do being held right here in, in Canton, Ohio. I don't live in Canton. It's a little bit north of here. All the information is at coachdavelive.com. The, the, uh, conference is April 20 through the 22nd. Yes, Doug and Joe and John will be there live and in color. So folks, uh, please go on to coachdavelive.com and Sign up and be part of this wonderful event. You know, Doug, it's been my experience. I've been I've been to a lot of these now. The most uh, the the greatest thing of all is getting to see these people that man you're you're in fellowship, you're in relationship with through the internet and the, you know over your show, and you finally they get to meet you and look in your eye and press the flesh a little bit and be encouraged that as they look around, 300, 400 people in the room, they're not the only one that wears that. Uh, tinfoil hat so Absolutely. thanks for letting me give that give that plug that's april 20 through 22nd and you can find the information at coachdavelive.com occupy if i didn't do that if, if i if yeah 20 20 i got 14 stuck in my head but, but i gotta tell so, you sorry. register early because it's filling up so it is you it know is. Uh, it's gonna, it's, yeah go ahead it's gonna be a great gonna be a great great event and you know there's a there are a lot of these going on and we're doing it doug because 
you know, Mike and Jeannie have one down in, in Dallas, uh, here the Watchmen. And of course, uh, uh, Steve Quayle's got his event going on, but there's really not much up here in our area. So we thought, man, we'll try to draw from the Northeast a bit from Pennsylvania and Michigan and Ohio and New Jersey and New York. And so that's why we, we're, we're putting this on here in Ohio. And just hope people will come out and support us. Yeah, and and we're looking forward to meeting the people there, meeting you, and of course Russ Dizdar. It's going to be a fantastic, uh, really a fantastic time. So again, uh, Coach Dave Live Occupy 2018. That's the event. We're going to be there April 20, 21, and 22. A great time in the spring. Hey, Canton, Ohio, you can't beat that. Hey, Doc, I forget. I always tell everybody it's the home of the Pro Football That's Hall right. of Fame. So you. You can make it, uh, you can make a twofer, you know, if you've never seen that. Uh, Canton, Ohio, Canton Bulldogs were the first professional football team. And so the Hall of Fame is right there. And that in itself is worth a day. If you're going to come and take an extra day off, maybe go visit the Hall of Fame. I think you'd sure. really enjoy it. Yeah. I, you know what? I've never been there. I'd like to, I'd like to be there just to, just to say I was there and to see what's there. But, um, no, it's going to be a great time, certainly. So coach, um, you almost caused our Eric the tech, our tech guy to have a, a, a motor vehicle accident when he heard your voice on the, Howard Stern radio show. Um, and I was saying before you came on, the bottom line here is you, you, and we, you individually and, and us individually, but, but us collectively, we're reaching the people. It's an amazing, yeah, it's true. so amazing, isn't it? We don't have, I tell you, we don't have any idea. And you know, I, uh, you guys probably can relate to this. The trolls that troll me. Oh my goodness. It, you know, it just, they think they wear me out and it does, it, you know, it is aggravating, but it inspires me to understand that, you know, uh, I told, uh, maybe it was John Robertson, somebody that the devil knows our name. The devil knows our name. That's something that we ought to, we ought to be proud of. And we are making an impact and thank God for the internet and thank God that people are moving away from terrestrial uh, radio and from, from the con- constant drumbeat of Rush Limbaugh and Hannity and all of that stuff. And, uh, I was listening to Mike Gallagher today, and he's, he's poking fun at, uh, at conspiracy theorists. But, hey, Doug, listen, it's only a, a conspiracy theory if it's not true. <laughs> and it's a, a lot of the stuff that you're bringing to the table, you guys and your guests that you've had over the last, oh, my goodness, three three weeks and beyond is just has been really, really, really incredible in the information that you guys provide. So we're in an information war. They're doing everything they can to shut us down, but at the same time, even in these little venues where I'm broadcasting from tonight, from you guys and where you're shooting out from, Doug, people are listening, and that's a great encouragement to me. Yes, it is, uh, Coach. I want to ask you your opinions. Just um, something I've been asking guests uh, that come on about what you think of CNN and the other news organizations. Now, we know after every mass shooting, at least under Obama, we never heard them demand gun control, never saw them you know, calling the president names or... or uh, saying he better do something, he has to do something to change this now. But under Trump, you know, you have a, a shooting and everybody starts, you know, pulling their hair out yeah. and calling for the Second Amendment to be banned. But one thing that we've seen different than other events is the media parading around these children to not only to, to not only share their CNN's talking points on yeah. on gun rights, but also you know disparaging Trump and, and calling him names and whatnot. What's your take on the the use of these children? And then apparently you can't even criticize the children because then you're some you know Nazi racist hater for uh, daring to to ask questions. Well, it's judgment of God. The Bible says that women and children shall lead them. <laughs> and can you can you believe that we're actually turning to these young kids for for advice? That they're the ones that are leading the the whole fight here on on the uh, on yeah. the gun debate. Well, it's, it's no accident. Uh, you know, no, it, it, it's absolutely no accident. And 
And I got a killer commentary. You know, I write a commentary every Thursday at newsreviews.com. I just completed it. And I'm, uh, so folks will be able to see it tomorrow on the internet. I pose this question, Joe, Doug. What if the abortionist used guns? That's a good now, question. Now, wouldn't that, wouldn't that be something to watch, brother? If, if the abortionists were forced to use guns to kill those little babies, boy, the pro-deathers and the gun lobby, we would have ourselves one, one family feud. That's the, that's the type of thing we have to try to do a better job of igniting. I'm talking about standing up boldly and pushing back against the lies. You know, you mentioned me being on, on, uh, I wasn't on the Howard, uh, what the heck is his name, Stern show, but he played a clip from, from my show. And I, I took that as, as you guys said, as a badge of honor. And I have to be honest, I am, I, not that I would be dishonest. I don't know why I said that. Uh, I, I am actively becoming more and more confrontational in the things that I say. Folks, please catch this. If your speech is not free, you're not free. No matter how much you might think you are, if what, if what comes up into your mind, your thoughts, what comes out of your spirit into your thoughts, if you are not free to utter that, you're not a free man. And so I, I've come to realize, realize that what's going on is that there is a battleground, Doug and Joe, to silence it. They silence us through ridicule. We know, we know how the game's played. We know the words and the language and the techniques that they use. But I decided that I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna push back. I, I got in trouble last week. I was all over right wing watch. I, I'm still getting emails today because I, I, I made, on my show, I made, uh, back to back shows. They called it controversial. Number one, I, I pointed out the fact that, uh, there's something serious wrong, seriously wrong with Christianity. When 90% of black people vote for a man who's going to kill black babies in abortion. I just said, hey, Doug, Joe, I just, that's just data. I just mentioned the truth. And of course, the racist comes and all that stuff. I said, what are you talking about, man? I'm out all the time at the abortion clinic trying to save those black babies. This ain't about race. This is about you as a Christian. You're being deceived by race and you're more, you are more black than you are Christian. Well, you can imagine that probably that probably kinkled a few, uh, few uh, packs of underwear for sure. But brother, it is the truth. And so then, then I, I, the thing that got, uh, got me in trouble was it yesterday or two days ago? I don't know what it was. I said, listen, here's part of the problem of what's going on down there with those, that killing. I can't believe for the life of me, got a lot of emails on this one, Doug. I can't believe for the life of me that no young man tried to tackle that shooter. You mean to tell me? That it, that entire hallway was full of people fleeing for their lives. You can imagine the chaos, and not one person, not one young man, not one, two groups, two guys, a group of guys got together when his back was turned. And they didn't decide to bum rush him. And see, it's because of manhood. We no longer train our kids to be men. Oh, I got in a lot of trouble about that thing that uh, that those kids deserve what they got. Not that isn't. That isn't all what I said. I said, whatever happened to the fact that we used to train our children that when the evil stuck its head up, we had an obligation to fight back and push back against that. And instead of doing so many drills in schools, hang on with me now, well, what do we do? Duck and cover? Go hide in a closet? Hide in a closet and pray that the government comes and, and rescues you? What about some type of training to these young kids that if one of these things happens, heaven forbid, 
You guys, when you get an opportunity, you would rush the guy. Doug, Joe, it doesn't even enter into their minds. Now, listen, I'm not blaming the kids. I'm not blaming them. I can't even imagine the terror that would be involved with it. But was that seed ever planted in anybody's mind? Think how many wrestlers there were and football players and lacrosse players, active, strong kids. that uh, they, they couldn't have got them all. And they could have rescued some of their classmates and could have maybe maybe uh, lessened the, the fatalities. Doug, you're hearing me, right? I'm not blaming anybody. No. I'm asking, what happened to manhood? What happened to the idea of you running out there and doing everything you can to rescue your friends rather than yeah. hiding in the closet and waiting for the for the government to show up and rescue us? Brothers, we're in a world of hurt. we gotta, we got to raise up men. we got to push back and we got to fight back. And, uh, that, boy, we right. have those. We, we it, it, a lot of, a lot of I, I, no, I, I think that that's exactly what what this is. We, when I say we, I'm talking about society in general. The the attack on the on the uh, on the male, the attack on the family. Mm-hmm. It's 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 this is all all part of it. Yeah, I'm not going to curl up in, in a fetal position in a corner. This is just me now. If if I can if I could do something to avert disaster, save someone's life, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to um, the, uh, ducking and cover, hiding in a, in a closet. To me, is the most stupid uh, advice I've ever heard. Right. You got to be kidding me. You, so I'm going to die in a closet in a fetal position? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So uh, you know, so we have to teach. We have to teach these young guys once again that they have an they have a masculine, I hate to use that term, a masculine obligation to protect the weaker amongst us, Doug. Yeah, I agree. They don't, we don't even, see, part of it is, is the, the, uh, creation of, of this, this alphabet sex, right? This right. deviant alphabet sex. We don't know whether you're a man or a woman or a woman today and a man tomorrow or try or buy or my or, well, we don't know what anybody is, so everybody, therefore everybody is equal. And the idea of a brave young man or woman, but certainly a brave young man rising up to the challenge to try to do something to protect and defend those that are around him, that is the most honorable thing that we could ever teach our children to do. But I, I would imagine, Doug, that most people are taught self-preservation. Now, I understand that is, that's the, you know, that's the first response you would have. Preserve my own self and my own life. But the scriptures teach us, teach us that greater love is no man than this, and he would lay down his life for his friends. And I'm wondering if some of those guys on the football team or some of those wrestlers, they'd had the opportunity of somebody to tackle that guy if there might be a few kids that would be alive today as a result of it. Now, Doug, does that sound hateful? Does that sound like I'm blaming the kid? I, I, don't, I don't think it does. I, well, I think no. it. I think it makes perfect sense. See, masculinity. I looked up masculine in the. You want to get a. You want to get a lesson. Go to Webster's 1828 dictionary. That's when words meant words. Webster's 1828.com, and put in masculine. You know what the first thing comes up, Doug? The definition. First thing comes up is rough. Really rough. Rough. Yeah, yeah. And you ask a young kid today, what 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 is a what is a masculine man? Well, they probably think, well, how many girls I can bed down or how much beer I can drink or, or how much money I can make. They don't have any idea what, what masculinity is all about. So there's a real war in the West in particular on men, on men. We don't, we don't understand it. We think that this equality thing is the idea of bringing men and women up to the same level. We all know they're all equal in the sight of the Lord. We're all equal in the, in the, in the face of our government. But brother, Men and women aren't equal. I have the most beautiful wife that you guys know, and, I, and we are equal in the eyes of the Lord, and we're equal in a lot of ways. But 
brother, I'm a lot stronger. And there's certain things that I'm supposed to do to protect her. And she's a lot more nourishing and loving. And there's certain things that she's supposed to do to protect our grandchildren. And it's a perfect melding that comes together. But with this unisex things and everybody being equal and, and women being in the military and women being police officers and women, women, women being the same as men, that just defies nature. And the only way that we're going to be able to have a chance to right to this ship is if we get that male-female relationship, that male-female balance back in back into balance, Doug, and it's, it's, a, it's a battle. And, Coach, I, I can't say this enough, but it's something that uh, we've been referencing every day, every show, that just as just for the reasons you explained is why it's being attacked. We're in This is a spiritual battle first and foremost, and we have seen all the things that, that God established for good as being attacked by this uh, liberal insanity, by the media hysteria. And they're going to continue to do that. And for the exact same reasons that you said, uh, why you're being, why are you being attacked uh, for, for things you say because they make perfect common sense? And that's exactly why you're being attacked, because things are not supposed yeah. to make sense in this world, and everything is supposed to be chaotic as possible. Uh, so they can pretty much you know, upend society. And as I said, again, it's the, the spiritual battle that they're trying to win. And uh, they're they're doing a good job with some, but the rest of the people are not going quietly. And so this is why we see things like censorship and, uh, you know, lies and other deceitful means of attack. And that's the just the way they play. And I have a problem. How come we have a set of rules we have to play by, but these people don't yeah. play by any rules? Yet when these people are, are all over the place, we're supposed to still play yeah. by the rules. And, and, and you, you uh, Coach, you, you were the subject of, of some... Uh, uh, there was some contention even among some, some so-called Christians by, by, uh, well, you know, uh, coaches advocating not playing by the rules. Yeah. You can't play by the rules. Oh my goodness. We, we, hey Doug, I don't know if I can say this word on here. Hell, am I allowed to say that? I won't sure. say it. I'll just go ahead and bleep it out. When the hell are we going to wake up <laughs> to understand exactly what's going on? Exactly. They are destroying our children. They are destroying our society. They are destroying our culture. They're destroying our religion. They're destroying Western civilization as we sit back and play patty cake because they tell us how we're supposed to think and what we're supposed to say. And, and if, again, if we don't realize that if we're not free to say what we feel, we are not free. And we know this now. We know this. The left, they know we don't fight back. They know we're not fighters. We're lovers, not fighters. Well, I'm a lover, that's for sure. But every time I look at my little grandchildren, I understand I have something to fight for. And you know, I'll, I'll probably get censored on this one, Doug. I might, my, my, our little, uh, two, two year, two and a half year old grandson, I just had a conversation with him yesterday. He can, he can almost carry a sentence when you talk to him. And he's, we've got, uh, female nieces and co- cousins. He's got female cousins, so he's around girls all the time. And I was telling him doing something. I pulled him aside and said, listen, David, listen, David. Boys don't wear dresses. You understand? Boys don't wear dresses. Girls do. Boys wear pants. Now, Doug, if Children's Services finds out about that, they'll probably, they'll probably haul me off or take him away from me or something like that, right? But we have to begin to clearly delineate for our children again these masculine role, roles that men are supposed to uh, be holding. You call me a knuckle dragger. Call me whatever you want to. I remember when men were men and women were women. And I believe that society operated a lot better like that. Call me a chauvinist, whatever you want to call me. I just think the proof's in the pudding. 
the science deniers they want to they want to admit to that right they don't want to admit to that they want to they want to say guns kill uh, those guns killed those children no it was a dark heart that killed those children and you know i got on this article that i wrote that's coming out tomorrow doug i got a picture in the middle of the article of all the um, all the weapons used in abortion we're not banning any of those and I can promise you more kids died today from abortion than died from gun shootings at schools. So I'm tired of the double talk, talking out of both sides of our mouth. Black lives matter, kids' lives, all lives matter, yada, yada, yada. Yet 17 kids get killed, and I feel bad for them. 17 kids get killed. But how many thousands got killed today in abortion, and nobody cares? Weapons of guns mass destruction. Like you said. Not Guns, guns didn't, didn't do, do it. it. That's right. It was, it was forceps, and it was a vacuum. But the babies are dead just as ever, right? And we, we have a saying here at the Pass Us All Ministries that, that bloodshed follows bloodshed, brother. And as long as there's blood in the womb, there's going to be blood in the world. And it makes folks mad, but I'm going to keep saying it. till we get some sanity, Amen. get our minds right, and get back to what we know works, rather than let the social scientists and, and the God-haters try to destroy everything that our forefathers fought to build. We are in the battle of our lifetime for Western civilization. Hey, Doug, I love it. I'm not mad. It just seems like it. I just wish some of some of those other people out there were a little bit more angry too. Well, maybe it is time to get mad, to get angry, to 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 fight back, to to do so in that fashion. I I truly believe. What else can we do at this point? Um, we we cannot uh, we cannot tolerate this any longer. No, we um, can't. That, that's a problem with, with with us. We tolerate too damn much, and we, do. we need to become more intolerant. I believe. Okay, Doug. So so James Carville. We'll get my glasses on here. Oh, James. Carville said all politics are local. I'm going to give you the best advice ever right now, folks. And it's going to take a little bit of courage, but that's what masculine men do. Men have courage, right? Men have courage. Men do the difficult thing. Men have to stretch themselves a little bit. All politics are local. And what we are going to have to begin to do is right where you live, Doug Hagman, right where Coach Dave lives, right where all the people uh, that are watching the show live, you are going to have to rise up and you are going to have to push back locally. You say, what are you talking about? So, well, what about when they try to bring transgender education into your school? Are you going to be at the school board meeting? Are you going to go find 10 people and you're going to go to the school board meeting and say, no, 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 not here, not on our watch, you're not going to do that. And when your county commissioners, they try to come up with some kind of rule about, you know, what you're allowed to, where you're allowed to have guns, you're not allowed to, are you going to get some people together? Are you going to go make a stink? Are you going to stand up and you're going to push back? Or are you going to sit back in your easy chair and let the leftists do all that? Because that is, in fact, what they do. Now, if you think that these kids who are hitting the streets now on gun control, if you think they came up with that on the on their own, brother, I don't know what's wrong with you. If you don't understand that there's some deep, dark, sinister forces that are taking our children and sacrificing our children or what happened to our children on the on the altar of po- politics, I, I, I don't know. So listen, wake up, church. Fight back, church. Stand up, pastors. Come out from hiding. Come on out from behind that pulpit, pastor. Come on out there. A lot of people are defending you. And again, we can't change the White House. We can't change the Senate. We can't change the House of Representatives. We can't change Washington, D.C. I can change Hebron. I can change right here where I live. And it happens first by opening up your mouth, standing up, and speaking what you know to be the truth. And one of the interesting things, uh, somebody who should have been considered for the attorney general's job is Sheriff David Clark. 
Kia yeah. said that the parading of these children around on uh, with this anti-gun agenda is uh, or has Soros's fingerprints all over it. Amen. And I would tend to agree. Also, one of the interesting things that MSNBC and CNN are saying while parading these kids around is that um, th- they are engaging in a civil rights uh, action when <laughs> civil rights refers to rights guaranteed to citizens by the Constitution and obviously the Second Amendment falls under that. So if anything, it's an attack on the, the civil rights, just to add some clarity there. But, uh, Coach, we, we've covered a lot in this uh, segment. we only got about a minute and a half left. Uh, what's it going to take, for, in your mind, to get this this gun control narrative out of the news are we going to see have to see a terror event or you know some indictments from Mueller or are they going to continue to hammer this thing away until they get the desired action or or uh, starting in the right direction the action that they want well they're not they're not they're not going to get the guns Doug or Joe this hey listen I live out here in cornfield country brother there's there are more guns out here than oh, yeah. there are, than there are uh, they're everywhere brother they're not going to get that but what they're going to try to do see they're going to try to take this they're going to try to domesticate us and make us dissified Christians and try once again to force us to do something that goes against our desires, goes against our, our right. And I said to somebody the other day, I know what the, what the, what the amendment talks about guns. The second amendment talks specifically about guns, right? To care about the people to bear arms shall not be infringed. Hey, Doug, Joe, uh, what amendment is it that talks about abortion? Which one is that that grants the right to abortion? Yeah. Oh, they're in one, right? It's in the penumbras, right? So we gotta wake up, we gotta educate ourselves, we gotta stand up, we have to speak up, we gotta push back. And Amen. I'm gonna talk faster next time, cause I only got in half of what I wanted to say. <laughs> Sounds good, coach. CoachDaveLive.com is the website. Check out his show every morning. Also, the Occupy Conference. Go to CoachDaveLive.com. There you can register to be part of that conference. The team Hagman will be there. Then we're really yeah. looking forward. And to Mr. It. Chairman, I yield my time to the coach, Coach Dave. <laughs> Thanks, Doug. Joe. God bless you guys. All right. Appreciate all you do. We will be right back after this break. Uh, we got a great hour lined up for you next. Don't go anywhere. There's a war on against Christians. There's a war on right now. It's raging. It's being waged against each one of us. It doesn't matter if you are in the United States of America, whatever Western country you are in, if you are conservative by nature, by political bias, if you are a conservative by religious ideology, you are you are in the crosshairs of this political progressive agenda. And, of course, uh, fighting back against that, among other Things, of course, we've got CPAC, the uh, Conservative Political Action uh, Conference, going on right now, and we're going to have coming up reporting live from CPAC is going to be Jack Posobiec. If you haven't uh, checked out his Twitter feed, do so. And of course, he's a, a Hagman Report favorite. He comes on quite frequently and, and gives us important information. And you should follow Jack Posobiec. And by the way, if you if you have not read his book, Citizens uh, for Trump. Uh, if, you, if you've not read anything from Jack Posobiec, it would do you do you very well to get a hold of everything he's written. 
including but not limited to his book. Follow him on social networking. Go to his website. Just just listen to this man. He is he's he's got his finger on the pulse of what's going on in America. Joe, I'm going to kick it over to you. Yeah, we have with us uh, Jack Pasoba coming to us live from CPAC, which is being held in Maryland this year, and we hear there's some interesting things going on there. Jack, welcome back to the show. Hey, what's up, guys? Great. So great to be on. I'm literally here on Broadcast Row, uh, CPAC. It's, I mean, and it's crazy because, you know, I'm here. It, today's technically the opening day, but not a lot of the crowds are here yet, but a lot of the speakers are. So, I mean, I've literally just, I was just talking to Ben Shapiro. I was just talking to Dan Bongino. Um, talking to a bunch of the folks from the Bill Mitchell show. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing to kind of see everyone who you would normally see, but now you're all in one space. Well, and, if, you, if you, Jack, if you have a chance, tell Dan Bongino that I plagiarized the heck out of him. I give him credit for it, but I plagiarized the heck out of him. Okay, I do give him credit. I have to tell him that, yes. Uh, all right, I, 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 and make sure you tell him I give him credit. But, but he's uh, he's an interesting man, a, gr- a great source of information as well. And uh, I'm glad you're there. Um, it, man, it's uh, so front and center down there. Uh, what's what's going on? What, yeah, we hear uh, some, something. What's going on with Jim Hoff and a social media? Can we put you on the spot for so, that? Yeah, I so Jim and I talked uh, last last night about this, and then that it was happening, that it was coming down the pike, and then it it, it broke, you know, uh, publicly today that APAC, or at least the organizers of his particular event, had, which was going to be a panel discussion with himself, Pamela Geller, James Damore, and James O'Keefe, uh, three Jameses, right? Three Jameses that a panelist that they were all going to be speaking on social media censorship. They were going to be speaking on what, um, you know, basically what's, what's going on with Twitter. I, I myself was suspended by Medium today. And, and you know, kind of going over that. However, then it came down that he was told he couldn't go out and that he was actually, um, that, that Jim Hoff could not speak posting as... Um, on the panel. So then everyone else said, well, Jim's not going to do it. We were going to stand together and we're not going to do it either. Very interesting. And, and, you know, right before the show, we got word that Jim Hoff was asked not to speak. Then the panel was shut down. We know that in the beginning of the show, we covered some of the Twitter censorship that's going on where there, there is a, a conservative purge being disguised as, uh, you know, the, the censorship of Russian bots. Which we all know is a joke, but how bad, uh, from, from what you're hearing, how bad is this Twitter purge that's happening? So I think it's over now. Um, it, and it's, what it, it wasn't exactly a purge. What I think, what, what everyone thought it was a purge at first, but it turned out to be this Twitter lockout. And I think that's the way that people ended up, uh, framing it was because suddenly thousands, possibly tens of thousands, millions of people, I'm not sure exactly what the final number was, of Twitter users were found, woke up to find themselves locked out of their Twitter accounts and they were told that they had to prove that they were not bots and they had to prove that they were actual people and then sign in with a phone number to go and sign it back into Twitter because they had been uh, automatically or algorithmically classified as bots and potentially Russian bots. And so a lot of people were thinking that this may have been the green light from the, the Mueller campaign, their filings last, last week, against the 13 Russian really troll Facebook that 
now social media companies are viewing that as a green light to go and wipe out anyone they suspect, and they're not really explaining how these suspicions arise, anyone they suspect of being a, a, a Russian bot or a Russian troll. Yeah, it's um, interesting. Which inevitably, and, and just to, just to pin that, which inevitably ends up just kind of being a Trump supporter. Yeah, well, right. And you made headlines, obviously, and you mentioned earlier that uh, you were censored, of course, on Medium. I, I have a tweet here uh, from you that you broke Manafort wiretapping story on Medium and multiple others. It, all fully sourced and confirmed. I've never used hate speech, bigotry, or even profanity as I oppose them all. No idea what's going on here. No explanation provided. And then President Donald Trump responded to you in a tweet, uh, saying, of course, um, you know what's going on. Conservative censorship. And how true okay. is that? Uh, fantastic, by the way, for, uh, for, for you and for putting the, the truth out there. Well, yeah, and I'll have to see. I don't know if it's the, the the verified Trump account or not, but you know some of these uh, some of these parody accounts they have maybe one of those. But what what is really preposterous oh. to me, and I appreciate uh, Matt Drudge put it up on his his website as well that right wing commentators, myself, Laura Loomer, and Mike Sternovich were all just banned uh, arbitrarily from the Medium platform with no information given whatsoever. And when media has made inquiries, we've made inquiries, and they said we don't comment on you know, specific account suspensions. Again, we've never uh, published false information on there. We've never published hate speech, bigotry. Obviously, we don't stand for those things. Anyone who follows us would know that. Uh, we've held rallies opposing uh, hate speech and racism. And, you know, to turn around and wake up one and find, no, again, Medium's a free blogging service, so it's not something that I've really invested a lot of uh, a lot of resources into, but it's certainly very suspicious to see to see the timing of it uh, to go on the same day as the Twitter lockout. So I don't know if there was something coordinated there going on. Well, nonetheless, it's it's very interesting to see uh, and to follow some of the internet forums and see what some of the the people are saying. And you know, we just uh, we constantly go through this the censorship and and this uh you know beat down from the media entertainment political social media complex and it it really gets old after a while but uh, if we can jack i want to switch gears you're at cpac i know it's the first day and you said some of the 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 crowds have not really got there yet but have you had have you heard anything i'd like to for a minute talk about uh you have a, a new book coming out 4d warfare and in the, that context what we saw from robert mueller this last weekend and the 13 uh you know fake media accounts that were created that they're trying to, to basically put all this Russian collusion hype on. And we see the, the media organizations that fell for this, the CNNs, the MSNBCs, the Michael Moores, but yet CNNs harassing old people in their yard, asking them why they shared this content. Either way, uh, any have you heard anything about people's feelings on Jeff Sessions, this Mueller investigation, and uh, what, what's, the, uh, what's the scuttlebutt about Jeff Sessions there, if there has been any? You know, I've definitely heard a lot in this in the vein of Jeff Sessions. People just frustrated, frustrated that Mueller allowed, given a free hand essentially to do whatever he wants in this in this investigation. Uh, we saw, quite frankly, with with these this indictment of thirteen uh, foreign individuals that will never be brought under you know prosecution in the U.S. because we don't have an extradition treaty with Russia. Uh, that. Quite, people think he is wasting our time. He's wasting government resources. He's certainly wasting time with the um, with with the American political uh, climate. He's he's dominated it with this with this uh, you know witch hunt that he's under. And of all the things that have come out of it, 
Not a single one of them has been. Uh, I was just talking to someone who's a, a very, a very high placed uh, Republican source here in in D.C. and he said, you know, none of this, none of these things go back to Trump. None of them. Not a single one. And you ask, well, where are the people who have problems? They say, yeah, Manafort had problems and Gates had problems, but those guys were crooks and everybody knew it, you know, kind of thing. And the stuff that uh, the stuff that they're being hit on was uh, years and years ago. It has nothing to do with the Trump campaign whatsoever. Right. You, you know, what's missing from those 13 indictments or the indictments of the 13 individuals and three entities is any violation of the election uh, law, the 52 U.S.C. 30121. It, it's not there. It, it's all these, um, it's identity theft and, and, right. uh, uh, fraud crimes. So, and, and there is definitely, as you said, no connection to the Donald Trump campaign or, uh, Donald Trump himself or the, the people surrounding him. So th- this is, it's, it's mind numbing. It's gotten so far out of control. It, it's hard to, to watch anymore. And it's such a joke, uh, that the media continues to talk about it as though basically Trump's already been found guilty and, and attack him constantly with this. And it, you know, it's very frustrating to sit back and see Jeff Sessions, you know, the, the guy who recused himself giving interviews on Fox News saying, well, we're not going to let the FISA abuses go, we're going to investigate them, and on and on and on. Yet these people still have jobs in the DOJ, in the FBI. They're still at their you know top-tier positions, and nothing is being done. And I, I, I know and I understand a lot of people respect Jeff Sessions as a person, but as an attorney general, uh, I, I'm about, I've about just had it with him. I, I don't have the patience, and maybe that's my problem. I don't have the patience to sit here and you know let this play out. I think there needs to be action taken. Do you think? No, actually, is- uh, I said um, I, I said uh, that brought up those same points to you, and then I uh, with the source I was just meeting with, and I, I I said to him, I said, you know, why isn't why isn't someone like Ted Cruz, Attorney General, like goes Cruz because he wants to be president? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Scary point. A great point on on the numerous levels, indeed. Wow. All right. Well, what are you hearing about perhaps the, well, the effect from the the uh, Office of the Inspector General, that, that report coming due? I know I know. if you're there with Dan Bongino, he mentioned that uh, uh, on his show, I think, the other day. OIG, Michael Horowitz, submitting a report in March. Um, things are going to be starting. Uh, well, I've heard, I've heard things huge happening. things about this report. I mean, I've, uh, from one source I spoke with last week, not Dan, um, yeah, they basically stated that, that, you know, people keep talking about the seventh floor of FBI, that they, what my source said was, this, this thing is going to have people at the fifth, sixth, and seventh floor all packing their bags. That being said, uh, one thing that, and that's through cold water on it, but one thing that people have to understand about the process is that the IG cannot make prosecution. The IG cannot bring charges, cannot do any of that. All the IG can do is file reports, and then those reports need to be acted on by prosecutors. So we, even with the report that came out, it's going to be a huge political issue uh, for those people involved that, that may have conducted any of this corruption. Obviously, it seems that, that Andrew McCabe is going to be a huge focus of it. But any prosecution would have to be started outside of Horowitz and outside of his report because he doesn't he doesn't have those powers. Are we going to see a second special counsel or a, another independent counsel specific to the DOJ what and I've FBI called for, What I've called for is, and I think we mentioned this uh, even the last time I was on because it, it just keeps coming up. What I what I think is going to make sense, and I've heard more people calling this, Eric Carter mentioned it as well, uh, a new church committee. A new committee to go over all domestic, and look, the old, what was the old church committee's purview? Domestic surveillance by U.S. intelligence agencies. And 
that I think would be cover, would cover everything that went on with the FISA court. It would cover what was going on with FBI, and it would cover what has gone on in this case from NSA and some of these unmaskings that we've seen of Flynn and others. It's interesting because FISA, it was really a consequence or a creation because of the Church Committee back in 1975. So some some poetic justice there, I suppose. Um, right. Well, we, what we need to see, I think, is uh, is reform. And I, you know, one, I think one thing that uh, that someone said, uh, I think Mike Cernovich said it, said it kind of tongue in cheek, that you guys always talk about common sense uh, gun reform. Well, we need common sense FBI reform. I think at this point. <laughs> yeah, there's never going to be confidence in the FBI again unless there is a, a public house cleaning and unless people are held accountable. Um, and it, it, as I said, I'm, I'm at my, some days I can, I can get into it and other days I, I seem like I'm at my limit with, uh, this well, lolly gagging. It's such a shame that you've got an organization where there's a few people in key positions that are, you know, uh, sort of the proverbial, a few bad eggs that are bad apples that make the entire rest of them get that, that stain on them. And then there are so many good people. There are so many patriots at FBI that I wish that these actions weren't painting the entire agency, the entire bureau, uh, with this, with this taint. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Jack, kind of switching gears here, um, we see so much in the media about the, the Parkland, Florida school shooting and the, the, they're parading these kids around on the news organizations, having them, uh, you know, with the anti-Trump, anti-gun talking points. Leaving many people to speculate, even news organizations, international more so than local or uh, national, are saying Trump is going to act on guns. Do you think that's true? Uh, what, what do you think is going to be happening, if anything, in Washington uh, because of the, this media attack on the Second Amendment? Well, I, I think he's he's already talked about putting forward regulation on uh, on bump stocks, possibly banning bump stocks in the U.S. That, of course, was the the accessory that was used to, to modify uh, AR-15 in Las Vegas, the Steve Paddock shooting at Mandalay Bay. Um, I think, quite frankly, that that's not a very significant change because uh, anyone anyone in law enforcement or military that I know says those are mostly novelty accessories that nobody in the, in the professional shooter community really uses. But um, I think that any more wholesale change would take a lot more support in Congress, and it's something that the president isn't really able to do just on his own. Um, I've also right. not heard anything from the White House that he really has an appetite to to move uh, against this, though he certainly has been willing to, to sit down and meet with people. Yeah, and it's um, it's just so aggravating, as we've been talking about for the last few days, about how they're parading these kids around, and you can't criticize the kids, regardless of what they're saying, because then you're you know some kind of monster for for doing so and it's really frustrating to see all these people speculating and we've seen this narrative before first you know Trump was going to uh you know grant blanket amnesty and he was going to do this and that so the media organizations are are as usual and as expected just projecting a lot of what they wish he would do but I, again what you said about the bump stocks I don't have an issue uh and I, th- I think most gun owners don't have issues with uh the bump stocks but when you start talking about um, you know, banning assault rifles and stuff like that. That's when it gets crazy. But obviously, we have no reason to think anything like that's going to happen, as we have not um, we have not heard or seen anything uh, said or issued from the White House. But either way, it's no. A, it's in a very... fact, one 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 point that I I brought up with a uh, that a special forces uh, special forces uh, Green Gray brought up with me earlier uh, earlier today was he he said, you know, 
we had an assault weapons ban in the U.S., and Columbine happened during that ban. It didn't stop it at all. True. Yeah. That's a good point. All right. Well, well, and now they're saying they're going to start arming, uh, or that we need to protect soft targets by putting police officers and other uh, people with guns at some of these locations. What and the heck? We would protect our banks and such. I mean, I, yeah. you know, why not our children? Jack, anywhere you want to go, uh, you've got free reign here in the, in the remaining, uh, and your book too. We want yeah, to talk about yeah, your upcoming book. Yeah, your upcoming book. Let's, uh, let's you hit know, that. You bring up the, uh, the, the 4D warfare aspect of, of when they talk about Russia, because I actually do talk about, uh, I say the, the real Russia, you know, online warfare and, and, I don't talk about the U.S. election because I don't think that was really government-backed warfare. What I think uh, is is a more insidious use of of soft power and information warfare was Russia's invasion, annexation, really, of Crimea. And I use that as a case study in the book to explain to people how that went how that went down on multiple levels, both at the political level with votes being held to the social media level where different uh, images were being shared, locals were shared, putting stuff all over the media. They were encouraged to put up stuff. Uh, people who were members of the military you know, took off their uniforms. They break down everything it is that Russia did. Plus, Russia, through the U.S.'s own legal reasoning in their face when it came to Iraq, when it came to Kosovo, and all of the things that the U.N. has been pushing, they threw it in their faces and said that if you can do all these things here, why should we be able to do it there? So I, I explained that when Russia wants to do something like this, it's a multifaceted, multi-pronged approach to fourth-generation warfare um, in a military sense, whereas what I'm talking about is, for, you know, 40 warfare more just the political information warfare sense. And uh, we're looking forward to your book, uh, The 4D Warfare. When When is that going to come out? Do you have a date on that? We the latest I've heard from my publisher is end of March. Okay, well that's just right around the corner. I mean February went by so quick, and one more month after that, that's good. That's awesome. It's we'll, good. We'll be there, Jack. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I was just going to say this. You made uh, you made a drudge apparently. Is that yeah from uh, an article from the Hill about you and and Cernovich yeah. and Loomers being banned oh, from Medium. Bad. That's uh, on the right-hand side of Dredge from an article from The Hill. But while we have the last few minutes, Jack, I want to talk to you about the media, social media, and the the, the changes that we're seeing. Uh, there's some articles today. You have layoffs at different organizations. Uh, Newsweek is going through their own thing. And they talk about the Internet, streaming and podcasting, you know, really taking the audience, the listenership of, of many of the cable traditional cable TV news viewerships and moving them over to the internet. Do you continue? Do you think we're going to continue to see this trend of people abandoning the traditional media in favor of other outlets? So traditional media think- is dead. Traditional media is gone. You know, people turn on the TVs now, and you know, CNN likes to argue about their ratings. That they're not really that bad. And everything. Well, here's the thing, though. When people are putting on that terrestrial or even satellite or cable TV, it's in the background. It's passive. They might have it on, but there are people doing something else. They're they're in a waiting room, or they're waiting, you know, in, a, in an airport or at a restaurant or something. No one's sitting there actively paying attention to what's being said on CNN. Little chirons are flashing up with their headlines. However, when you switch that around, you look at the stuff I do, the stuff that you guys do uh, with our videos, with our content. Our viewers are so much more engaged, are so much more involved in what's going on. They have to seek us out. They're getting the information 
at a higher level. They're way more active. And those are the type of people I've found that are more willing to financially support through, you know, through products or sponsorships or events, the different things that are going on rather than, uh, rather than, you know, these, these, these people who just, who just kind of pass stuff on in the background. And, and I want to ask you a follow-up question with this. Do you believe that, well, obviously in some ways I'm sure it does turn into an echo chamber with some people, but do you think people look more for the truth or look more for their, uh, somebody who's similar in their political views when they're searching the media? No, I believe it. I think that people want basically to have that, have that relationship, have that connection, have that one-on-one connection with who it is that they're talking to, understand who they are as an individual, understand who they are as a person, and then you use that connection to filter or foster, I guess, a trust between the two sides. Because that's something that the institutional media, with CNN, nobody cares. Nobody feels a relationship with Jake Tapper. Nobody feels a relationship with any of the other people. What they see, on the other hand, is um, is an institution that's you know now stalking you know old women at their homes and, and attacking them. Yeah, yeah, that CNN piece. Not attacking. Crazy. I should say. I should say uh, verbally. You know, verbally attacking and jobbing. Yeah, and one. You know, I, it's amazing to me. CNN is still on air and that anybody still watches it uh, when they pull stunts like this especially they're ambushing a 70 year old lady of something they're guilty of which is just crazy Um, Jack last few minutes here what are you looking forward to most at CPAC Uh, do you have any events or speaking engagements you're going to be a part of what's going on with you uh, out there so we are holding an event on Saturday night called A Night for Freedom. We held one in New York, uh, which got pretty rowdy. Antifa showed up. There was a lot of, a lot of controversy there. We're holding another one now in DC. It's going to be myself, Stefan Molyneux. Uh, it's going to be Mike Sternovich. Um, we've got Milo is coming out and speaking and we're kind of holding it as a big after party for CPAC and a lot of the speakers uh, who have either been blacklisted from CPAC or have decided not to go for whatever reason are going to be appearing at our event. So it's kind of a, sort of a, 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 an alternative for, for those folks. And I'm, I'm okay. putting a lot of effort into that. I'm very excited. Um, one thing I even suggested when I heard that, that Jim Hoff was, you know, his, his event was canceled. I said, hey, why don't we do it on ours? Yeah, a, a night for freedom. And that's this Saturday night down there. Uh, well, I'll tell you, I'd love to, I'd love to be able to break away and join you, meet you in person. Um, but, but, oh, so, so well, a night for freedom. Be, hopefully, hopefully we'll be doing them around the country. Okay. All right. That's good. Okay. Yeah. Great. Fantastic. You expect any protesters at CPAC this year? Um, I haven't seen any outside yet. I mean, it's, it's in such a, uh, and so it's not in D.C. this year. It's over in the Maryland side. So I think that it, we're probably not going to see too many protesters. If we do, they're just going to be outside across the street. Our event, of course, I think is going to have a lot more protesters. It's going to be, uh, as usual, you know, we are the ones who get all the hate. And that's just kind of how it goes. It is. Yeah, exactly. Well, well Jack, please share our uh, best wishes with uh, with Dan Bongino, with, with everyone there on uh, on uh, at CPAC and just take care of yourself, man, and enjoy. Appreciate enjoy it, guys, it. as always. Uh, all right, brother. That was Jack Kosobik. His book that he has out, Citizens for Trump, also said at the end of March, his latest book will be coming out, 4D Warfare, and you can follow him at Jack Kosobik. 
And the website is citizensfortrump.com. Yep. At CPAC, going to be hosting some events. Now, is CPAC, I wonder, usually these things are aired on C-SPAN, C-SPAN 1 or 2. Um, yeah, you know, I, I didn't see it this year. I'm going to have to look because one of the things that we have with uh, Spectrum, which is the cable provider we have up here, they added a few C-SPAN channels as part of right. the cable the, package. The so kind you of have, back channel. You have C-SPAN, you have C-SPAN 1, you know, C-SPAN Politics, C-SPAN Washington. So I'm sure uh, with all those varieties of C-SPANs that you will get some coverage on that. But uh, we were in the periphery of, of CPAC one year. Yeah, we were. And this was when it was held in Philadelphia. I think the King of Prussia was the actual place it was where it was held. That's right. We ended up what we do going on? Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, we were there with. Uh, but it's a fun event. A congressman, actually. And I don't know why we're not there this year. We we should have went this year. Maybe next year we can uh, be a part of it. Well, if if you're there, I just want to say this: if you're there, say hello to Jack Posobiec and everyone. Mention the Hagman report as well. That gives us a little bit of clout, right? I mean, hey, yeah. why not? Absolutely, it does. When we come back, we are going to be joined by a debut guest, a first uh, a congressional candidate, Stephen. McKenzie. He's going to be with us. We're going to talk about what he wants to do in the 6th District of Indiana, his uh, views, what he would do if he is elected, and we're going to hear exactly what his campaign is all about. So don't go anywhere. You're listening to this Wednesday, February 21st edition of the Hagman Report, and we thank you guys for tuning in. Also, don't forget to check the website, Hagman Report, as each and every day tons of stories go up there from original authors and other curated content so make sure you visit and check out the stories there we'll be right back after this break You want to rock and roll? You want to lock and load, right? Well, Coach Dave Dobmeyer said all politics are local, and, and he's right. And, of course, uh, that's uh, from one of the more progressive, not Coach Dave, but one of the more progressive uh, mouthpieces in D.C. All politics are local. But the bottom line is this. We've got with or coming up with us uh, Stephen McKenzie. He's a conservative Republican who says the, it's actually the candidate in, from Indiana, the candidate in the sixth ward who's got your six. And, of course, a gun, gun right advocate, a constitutionalist, uh, a true constitutionalist. Uh, he's going to be joining us, Joe. I'm going to pop yeah. over to you here. We had some technical issues. That's why. Yeah, we snuck intro. back in here with, with yeah. no <laughs> intro music. Um, but, no, as you said, you know, all politics are local. Uh, one thing that I definitely understand is that the only way you're going to actually get the right people into the office and to fix your town, your city, your state, and then ultimately the nation is by starting locally getting local politics in, in the mayor's office and the city no. councils and the school boards, and you work your way out. That's the only way you're going to actually affect change from a political perspective. In, in uh, Voting in a president who espouses your views is great and all, but he can only do so much. Like we see these kids demanding Trump, you know, basically become everything the news media said he was, a dictator, an authoritarian, to change gun laws, something he can't even do on his own. Congress makes the laws, the Trump uh, the President Trump would just sign him into office. He has no authority. And if he did take that authority, he would be nothing more than the dictator you claim he is. So 
with that out of the way. But the local well, politics are you would important. You, Joe, would, would uh, be well advised to watch, and I'm not sure if you have watched the original Billy Jack, uh, Sheriff Buford Potser. Is that mm-hmm. a ring bell? That is. And, and people out there listening to this broadcast or watching this, remember that show, uh, Sheriff Buford Hayes Husser, and of course, we're talking about a, a sheriff of uh, McNary County, Tennessee, from '64 to '70. The story is amazing, and, and that's a great example about politics being local, about making and affecting. Was that change. when there was a standoff, an armed standoff? No, no, okay. no. In, in fact, the, just go to uh, Walking Tall or search that, and and you'll if it's airing on your television, you can see what one man can do. And that's what we've got to do. We've got to stand tall in the face of this progressive onslaught, this uh, assault on our constitutional liberties, our assault on our freedom. That's what we've got to do. And, and that's what people like. And that's why we've, we've been bringing on people uh, such as Stephen McKenzie and, and others who will stand tall against the progressive ons- uh, attacks against our liberties, our constitution, and our nation. And we're uh, we're attempting to, to bring our guest on. Some of the things we're going to cover with him are his own... Uh, congressional campaign talking points, things that he wants to change if he gets into office from the Second Amendment. We're going to hear his, his take on that from immigration to border security, term limits for Congress, abortion, limited government, and more. And one of the things, you know, we see um, so often is the, uh, the it's really like a, a, a club. These politicians in Congress and the Senate uh, they'll tolerate people who don't agree and don't believe the same way as they do. But they really, as we saw with, with Judge Roy Moore, I know that's a bad example, they try to keep the outsiders out. I guess President Trump would be the perfect example of that. And when we see people, you know, gaining momentum, this is where the, the Soros and the leftist money comes in by the millions to be used against political candidates who actually will make a difference, who do want to stick to the Constitution, who do want to enforce our own laws, uh, instead of, you know, rewrite them because of, of the flavor of the day or whatever. So we're going to hear uh, from Stephen McKenzie about his platform. That's right. And he builds himself, as you said, an outsider, an outsider and non-establishment candidate. And this yeah. is what we need. Think about the what we could do if everyone at the local level went into gov- politics, government, and said, you know what, we're not going to... Yeah, the, if the, business the, the owners norm. came together, yeah. you had That's right. uh, you know, like-minded people who are, uh, you know, understanding and have a foundation in their belief system and know and are sure in that system, and won't be swayed by corruption or other things. Just imagine if we took, you know, the uh, five hand-picked business owners from each city and put them in the city council in the positions of power and mayor. How quick would the budgets be balanced? How quick would you know these backroom deals and other corruptions that we see? That are just part of our political system now. They don't even—they're not even looked upon as crimes. Uh, you know, the pork barrel spending and the kickbacks and all this—you know how fast that that would be rectified if you we know, had actual good people in, in these positions of power. Exactly. And, and the people that stand up and ask Nancy Pelosi in the meetings, "Well, how much, how much are you, you worth?" Yeah, we're Nancy. talking about uh, you know the tax gap of, yeah. of money and, and people. It's it's crazy, and she you know she doesn't answer those questions. We're not talking about my wealth today. No, no, of course not. But see, we need to, and this is what we need to do. We need to go in there and say, look, we're not going to have any of this crap anymore. We're tired of what you're pushing. We're tired of you uh, be, be just enriching yourself, yourselves, plural, on our backs, on our sweat equity. It's over. So we're we're regaining. We're taking back our country, district by district. I just blew yeah. out. 
No, it's just, just, just a sound. Some, I thought that was mine. Wow. Okay, there we go. Yeah, that was weird. That, that, yeah. But we are talking uh, about hammering in, in our ears, right? <laughs> we're we're uh, attempting to get uh, Mr. McKenzie on, and we will uh, bring him on. As soon as we bring him on, we'll, we'll go right to him. Uh, but I want to yeah. cover this first. This is very interesting. It's kind of a, I don't know what you'd call this, deputies to carry rifles on school grounds in Broward County. One week after the shooting, the high school massacre, Broward County Sheriff Scott Israel has ordered all deputies in schools to carry rifles on school grounds. Now, he, it's interesting, he makes the distinction that these are single-shot rifles, not assault rifles, but they're talking about cops carrying them. So what's the difference, right? This morning, I implemented a practice within the Broward Sheriff's Office and spoke to um, Mr. Runtz, is fully cooperative of my decision, maybe that's the local mayor or school board, about deputies who are qualified and trained will be carrying rifles on school grounds from this point forward, announced Sheriff Israel at a late afternoon conference. Isn't this against everything the media has been saying, you know, no, no guns in the school, not more guns in the school, no guns anywhere. Um, it'll be interesting to see their reaction. But he goes on to say that not only, uh, the only place people are asking me where they will not carry their rifle until we look for gun locks and gun lockers, the only place where they're not slinging their rifles will be allowed uh, to be stored in, in a locker in their police vehicle. So they, it will be done safely. Basically, they're saying the weapons, when they're not being carried, will be under lock and key. Well, that's reassuring. Yeah, a yeah. locked rifle never protected anyone, right. in my view. But Jack Cashel's got a good piece at the American Thinker. I don't know if you read that about Broward County. Did the uh, did the progressive Broward County solution cost 17 student lives? Yeah. And again, that's uh, Jack Cashel, who's been in studio here at the Hagman Report and writing for American Thinker. And really, look, this is a piece from progressive the Miami today. Yeah. Uh, more what you covered about the school district policy Excuse me, undisciplined. Yep. Parkland shooter, always in trouble, trouble, never expelled. Could school system have done more? And this is a question we've been asking since the shooting happened. It's obvious everybody could have done more, from the students to the parents to the school to the FBI, uh, to, to everybody involved. But this goes on to say that the shooter, Nicholas Cruz, his behavior could be a school administrator's nightmare. He kicked doors in. He cursed at teachers. He fought with students, threatened classmates, even brought a backpack with bullets to school. From 2014, he was placed in alternative schools for behavioral difficulties, only to be brought back to the high school a few years later, where he caused more trouble and had other disciplinary violations. Then he was pushed into three other alternative placement schools, and this happened uh, without any other, until he was expelled, apparently. Well, and, and this go, this goes speaks directly to that American thinker piece by Jack Cashel. All right, so uh, it, it, folks, read that article. It's interesting because it does bring into account the statistical, uh, the, the the way the st- statistics um, have been um, uh, managed, if you will. Jack Cashel article at American Thinker. And just real quick, I want to highlight Stephanie Langer, a Miami special education lawyer says you can't just kick kids out of the public schools because you're afraid of them or because they're hard to educate. What does that even mean? It's We don't have, to, we have our guests with us. We'll talk yeah, about this right. later. Stephen McKenzie, the congressional candidate for the 6th District in Indiana, joins us to talk about the platform for his campaign and the ideas that he wants to implement and stand up for if and when elected to Congress. Stephen, welcome to the Hagman Report. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. 
Okay. Well, I'll tell you what. You've got a you, you've got a some formidable opposition, but you are a candidate who uh, who says, okay, you're 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 not part of the political establishment. You're not part of the problem, and that's good. So, um, you, look, we need people like you for everything you stand for. Yeah. What made you want to decide to run? That's a great question. Uh, for me, what I think is really driven this whole process has been looking at what's happening in Washington, seeing people that don't really represent our values, seeing how uh, we sit back here every uh, election cycle waiting for people to stand up and actually do what they promise. And I, I think, but it goes back even further than that. You know, when I was a young boy, my mother, uh, who's in heaven now, consistently talked about this country and how uh, she believes in American exceptionalism. And, and my father's a pastor. He's still alive at 81. But I can tell you this. My mother, her conversations as a little boy, referenced a legacy that we have. She talked about our, our great-grandfather, William Brewster, who uh, was on the Mayflower. I'm the 11th direct descendant with my three brothers. She was the 10th. And so we always discussed growing up about how important it was to do anything uh, to preserve the freedom that we have in this country. And that has driven my life from the time I was a little boy. In fact, we have in our home the cradle that came in the Mayflower, and every generation has been rocked in that cradle since uh, they came over in 1620. Our three children, Jessica, who's a junior in college, Stephen's a senior, and Daniel's a, a sophomore, and they've all been rocked in that cradle. I tell you what, that to me is a symbol of what it takes to preserve the freedom that we have. They gave up everything to come here. And that's where it started. It, it continued and grew when I first heard Ronald Reagan speak in 1981. Uh, I was able to vote in 1984. My mother met Ronald Reagan. When I voted and worked on his campaign, I saw a man who had courage, conviction, who was a true conservative. Uh, he was a conservative first, a Republican second. He truly understood the Constitution. And to to me, he really is the one who has shaped my political ideology and my passion to defend this, the freedom that we have. So, absolutely. I mean, you're running, you are, these are bedrock principles of our nation, going all the way back to, yes. uh, and that's, well, okay, fantastic. Um, can you win? Of course you can win, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Uh, but... but well, I, I, there are so many questions I've got, and I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm actually tongue-tied because I've got a number of questions. I, I've been seeing all sorts of news articles about about your campaign. Uh, yes. Where is your campaign going? Where does it stand right now? I mean, you're 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 locked and loaded, ready to go. Um, yes. Okay. All right. But yeah, we, we have our our actual primaries May eighth, uh, Tuesday May eighth. We have, as you have referenced, we have been certainly under quite an assault from the time we announced uh, last fall. Uh, at that time, we had a lot more friends uh, that proved to truly not be friends. They proved to be part of the establishment. That, and so we, w those friends ran for the hills when the vice president's brother, Greg, decided in October he was going to get in the race. And the amount of pressure the amount of corruption that we've seen since then, my wife and I, has been, it has been disturbing. Uh, we have seen it at all levels, not just here locally, but here nationally. And the Wall Street Journal chronicles that, the Daily Caller, 
Obviously, you can see on Twitter we have a significant following, uh, over almost 5,500 followers who have been uh, literally uh, championing our cause, getting the message out. Like what you're doing tonight is such a blessing because they have done everything they can to keep me out of the media, to prevent us from having a voice. Uh, to give you an example of a couple things that are that are the most disturbing is we were approached um, quite a while ago last year by a friend of ours who's in the Freedom Caucus, Ted Yoho. He's a congressman from Florida, a good friend of my wife. She's a horse vet. He's a horse vet. And he's in the Freedom Caucus. He had recommended that we would be the perfect candidate for the Freedom Caucus to represent their values. My military service, I'm still in the Air Force. I've been honored to serve nearly two decades. I'm a veteran of Operation Enduring Freedom, Iraqi Freedom, and most recently Inherent Resolve. Uh, they thought we would be the ideal person to be there in Congress to help pr- protect in our freedoms. And so we went there back in August. We spoke there again in September, met with Mark Meadows and Jim Jordan, met him multiple times. And they assured us when they knew Greg had gotten the race uh, right in November that they were behind us 100%. They said that they knew that we were authentic, that we truly cared about the country, that we believe that a political service, you're a citizen representative, it is not a career. And all those factors uh, played into their willingness to support us. Uh, unfortunately, uh, two weeks later, I went back to get that formal endorsement in December, and they informed me they would not be able to do that. And ironically, uh, the timing of that was... Uh, my Vice President Pence created a PAC. It was referenced in a Wall Street Journal article. He donated max donations to the six leaders of the Freedom Caucus. I brought this up to them, and Jim Jordan told me to my face, it's in that Wall Street Journal article, yep. Stephen, what am I supposed to do? The Vice President just gave me a max donation. And yeah. I said, you know what you could do is you could stand up for what you what you believe in. You could have courage to not back down when people are putting pressure on you. And I know Mike Pence. I've known him for years. We worked on his, a number of his campaigns, on his, congress, and his congressional and his also gubernatorial campaign in 2012. My family and I were in commercials with him. Uh, but he's had selective amnesia uh, regarding uh, who we are. Uh, I have a nice letter from him when I came back from the war in 2015 and when I was over there dealing with ISIS. And, you know, so I think he is a, a good man, but I can tell you this. He also has a lot of pressure because he is the heir apparent in so many people's viewpoint. Um, they, his brother is someone who clearly should not be in politics, but the establishment here locally wants him there because it gives him them access. Um, I can tell you this. I was approached by a congressional member of was in the Freedom Caucus for six years. He ran for Senate. He lost. You can do your math and figure out who it is. Uh, that person was uh, someone who also encouraged us to run last year. We met with him multiple times. He called my wife and I in, de- in December. He said, Stephen, let me tell you something. Uh, and this is a Christian, someone who's a, a constitutional conservative. He said, I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to back down. I can't support you. He said, I'm trying to make a deal with the vice president right now. I'm working on something now in the private sector. I've got too much pressure. I said, look, this is politics, Stephen. If you back down and endorse Greg Pence, we will help you and give you a anything you want. Get, name another district. Name another uh, seat you want. We'll help you with the donations. But you got to just endorse him. you got to back down. And I said, the very reason you're asking me to do this is why I'm running. Because mm-hmm. you Amen. now have been, co- you have been co-opted by the establishment. You have now been, by the Koch brothers and others who are 
funneling all this money to the vice president. They clearly don't want people like me who speak my mind. I'm, I'm not afraid of anyone. I'm afraid of God. I'm afraid of, of failing him and the, those people that I love. And I'm, but I'm not afraid of the Republican party and the establishment. And that drives them crazy because they want me to capitulate and back down. And, the, and just top it off, the seal it all off was in January 3rd. I was approached by the head of Trump's campaign who was backing me as well. Uh, Rex Early, he's a big supporter of, of Reagan's. He's was the head of our Republican Party for years, ran for governor here. Uh, he said, Stephen, look, you're, you're the, the best candidate. Greg is, should not be running. I've told the vice president. He has a lot of, uh, integrity problems, significant problems if you do your research on him. He said, you should be the one running, but unfortunately, blood's thicker than water. I can't go against the vice president, Stephen. You, if I were you, I'd, I would back down, endorse him, get out. We'll help you somewhere else. He said, if you, everyone's been told here in, in the state that if they donate to you and their name is on that FPC filing, that they will be blacklisted. Uh, from the top of the party down, Kyle Huffer is the head of the party, everyone down has said this. I got an email just a couple of days ago from a, a chairman of one of the Republican counties in my district said that Greg Pence is going to win and the Republican party is going to make sure he, he wins no matter what they have to do. And this is this is why I think people, when they talk about the swamp in D.C., they talk about you know the corruption. It's it's not just in D.C. It's in local government. It's in the local state parties across the country. Uh, if you look at some of the groups I'm in on Twitter, uh, these are groups of other veterans running for Congress, other not outsiders like me. We are completely being marginalized, shut out. Because we won't go along with Paul Ryan, with the party. We, they know we're going to stand up and from principle. We will do what's right. We will not do... I, I don't care about a political... I have no political ambition, uh, gentlemen. I don't have a desire to climb up some ladder. I want to serve my country, do my duty, and go home. And hand the baton to the next person. That's the way our founding fathers created this country. No, you're absolutely right. And we only have about six minutes left. I got so many questions. Yeah. Don't want you to give away secrets, but would like to yeah. know how you're you're planning on moving forward with basically the establishment with the establishment against yeah. you. But let's do this. Let's get into a few issues. One of those that you just brought up, term limits. How do you think that should look? Because we obviously know politics is a huge problem in the world of yes. politics. It's, putting, yes, it it's is. put over people, it's put over everything else. And uh evidences of that is just what the stories you just explained. Well, what do you think should be term limits for congressional and uh, Senate uh, senators? Yes, that's a great point. I've I've had a lot of time to reflect on this, and I think it, what's good enough for the President of the United States should be good enough for members of Congress. I think four terms in Congress is plenty. I've I've you know I'm just received a pledge uh, to, uh, and I've signed this pledge now for uh, for me it's going to be four terms. Uh, that is it. I don't have any. Uh, desire, I will not break that promise. So I think if the same for the same thing when you look at senators, I think two terms should be the max that senators should serve in Congress. Uh, you need new thought and new new blood in Congress. Like I'm, I've worked hard my whole life. I've been in the military. My wife and I started our own company. Uh, we've had to do it with blood, sweat, and tears. So we know what it's like to work with average people. We know what it's like to balance budget. We know what a PNL and a balance sheet is. Most people in Congress are clueless. Mm -hmm. And so you need people in, in the real world coming to Congress, helping change it, and actually make them adhere to their, the, the Constitution. 
No, you're you're absolutely right. And I'm just uh, maybe this is old information I'm looking at from Ballopedia uh, dot org. It's information on different uh, on just about any and every race upcoming yes. race, and it says that. Uh, two two other candidates, Jonathan Lamb and Greg Pence, both have raised over half a million dollars, and it says yes. you've only uh, raised thirteen thousand. Have you seen an increase in that? Is, uh, I know you said money's being funneled, especially yes. to to Mr. Pence. Can people outside of the district, outside the state, financially support your campaign? Yes, they can. Uh, there's that is what we have had to do. We've had to reach out beyond the borders because of what I mentioned earlier. Uh, it is. Very troubling. It's it's essentially like the mafia when they t- when they put the pressure on to know that name cannot show up on a on a filing. Uh, my finance uh, chairman, who is a really godly man, a really successful businessman, uh, has had no problems raising funds for our governor, for Vice President Pence. Uh, he has been told consistently that people will not donate because of that problem. So we've had to reach beyond those borders. Uh, we have uh, people, uh, for example. The, uh, Ron Maxwell, who's uh, cr- the director of Gods and Generals, uh, who's now working on trying to help us, and is also the the New Right Co- uh, Network, is another group that on Twitter that's really uh, constitutional conservatives, the Making American Great Again Coalition. Those groups have now said that I am the candidate they want to win in the six. Uh, they are willing to do whatever it takes to help us win and help us build a ground game. There's no question. Uh, Jonathan Lamb, the other candidate, he put in almost six hundred thousand dollars of own money. He didn't raise that, uh, so it's a loan to the campaign. And and Vice President Pence, if you look at his money, uh, the last I looked, ninety percent is coming outside this this state and the district. So yeah, very telling. He, yeah. So the reality is, can people win without having that? I believe anything can happen because I'm I'm a firm believer that ultimately, what God wants to do, and if you are committed to that. That you do have the opportunity to have to see victory. Look at David and Goliath. That's exactly what I've been saying for for months. You know, they think they have it down. Greg Pence does not work here in the district. Doesn't do anything to make, to really try to get votes because he's assuming his name, the legacy. I think we've had enough legacy candidates in our country uh, that he can win because of that. And I don't know if you've done background on Greg, but I would encourage you. There's a plenty of of things to look at with his background. Absolutely, we have, and you know, and again, that's that's why I kind of threw that, uh, you know, can you win? The the coordinated assault by the establishment, by the by the really the, the people within the swamp, regardless yeah. of party, you know, it, it's mm-hmm. just it, it's ridiculous. But you made some absolutely excellent points, and of course, we are um, we are going to be watching this very closely. The primary is May eighth. We're gonna be praying for you because we do need. Thank you. We we don't need another politician mm-hmm. in there. We need somebody mm-hmm. to watch our six, and you're in the sixth district, and you promise you will. So this is what is one more Sure. Can I say one more thing? I know I appreciate your willingness to have me on. Uh, that is exactly where we stand uh, in this this race. Is that you know when when I came back in June from another mission, one of the my members, my dear friends, came, did not come back. He came back in a coffin. And I can tell you this, people that have never experienced combat, have never experienced the price for freedom, uh, in my opinion, should be very careful how they represent us in, in Congress. We need people that truly appreciate that. Uh, I don't, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to make sure you have a future where we can have freedom and we can have limited government. 
We can defend the Constitution the way it was intended. And I'm committed to doing that. And I ultimately will continue to serve my country in uniform and continue to serve my country, God willing, in Congress. Amen. Where can people go to find you? Uh, on your website, on social media? Sure. That's excellent. You can look under Twitter, Mackenzie, I-N, the number six. Uh, we are very active there. We've been so blessed to see so many people rise up to help us. Uh, it's also on our website. If you go on our website, you can click on the link at the top, which will show a link to Twitter, also a link to Facebook. Uh, both of those areas, you can see our issues, what I stand for. Uh, I appreciate what both of you are doing to help our country, to help highlight these issues. Well, uh, Stephen, thank you so much for joining us. We're going to have to have you back on before the primary. Stephen McKenzie is his name. He's running for Congress in the 6th District of Indiana against the Vice President's brother. And it's very interesting. We'll have you back on, Stephen, for sure. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. God bless you. Thank you so much for having me. God bless you. God bless you, too. A congressional candidate, Joe, congressional candidate, not, not, not afraid to say, God bless you. Yeah, that's a rarity today. We'll be right back. Third and final hour on this Wednesday edition of the Hagman Report. It's been a great show so far, and we got a strong guest to close it out each and every Wednesday. Pastor David Langford joins us from the Voice of Evangelism, and he is with us now. Pastor Langford, it's great to have you back on. It's definitely a great joy to be with you guys tonight, and I've been listening in on the program, and it's uh, it is an exceptional program tonight. Yeah, we had a, a congressional candidate. We had Jack Posobiec on. Yeah, from CPAC there. Yeah, coming to us live from CPAC. And then Coach Dave, uh, he joined <laughs> us as he's got some recognition on the Howard Stern show. Yeah, I don't, I don't know whether you heard that piece, Pastor, but it's interesting. Eric the Tech was driving and he heard, uh, Coach Dave Dobmeyer's voice and it was on the Howard Stern show and Howard Stern was playing a, um, uh, clip from David Dobmeyer. And the significance of that was, was really the, the context in which it was played. So it was just real, it's just been really crazy out there. It's, it's an amazing thing. But anyway. It's just going to get worse. Yeah, exactly. And buckle up, man. Put your seat backs and tray tables in their full upright lock position. We're going to hit some turbulence, right? Uh, there's no doubt about it. And uh, But you know what? Uh, that means we're going somewhere if we're in the airplane and we're having turbulence. And uh, we certainly are going somewhere. Duck, uh, can I make a little plug tonight right quick before we get started? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. We've been doing it all week. Go ahead. Thank you so much. It's the Riverwalk Fellowship. At 5612 Glenview Drive, that's Fort Worth, Texas, 76117. We'll be there Saturday, March the 3rd at 6.30 p.m. Pastor Donnie Adams is the pastor. It's a non-denominational church. We'll be there at the one night only speaking. So those of you in the area, well, we invite you to come by and be with us. That's next week, actually, a week from this Saturday. So I hope people can come. Uh, if you, if you want to, you can find that same information on our website at thevoiceofevangelism.com. Fellas, what if we we talk about the Word of God tonight? Hey, we've talked about everything else, so let's do it. <laughs> well, I want to read a passage uh, from Second Timothy, one of the most renowned passages from the Apostle Paul, Second uh, Timothy chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. 
Paul said, I charge thee, therefore, before God, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. As, as Paul is closing out this epistle, uh, he's on the precipice of being beheaded. He continues on there in verse 6, saying, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but in all them also that love his appearing. So Paul knows his demise, his death, is very imminent. And, and Timothy was a very young pastor, and he was admonishing Timothy, and he was using God the Father and Jesus Christ as the witness. He said, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's saying to Timothy, I am standing before God, you're standing before God, they're hearing this decree that you are being judged in the context, you must preach the word, you're being charged to preach this word. And he, and he tells him about the deity of Christ at his second advent. There are four things that are going to happen when Christ returns here in verse 1. He's going to judge the quick and the dead. Now, the quick are the people that are living. And, of course, the dead are those that are dead in Christ. This has nothing to do with the wicked dead, because they will be judged a thousand years later after the thousand year or the millennial reign of Christ in the earth. So that will take place a thousand years later. So these are the people that are alive, which could very well be us, that are alive tonight, and the Christian who've already gone on to be with the Lord and are dead. And he, he describes two other things that happen here, at his appearing and kingdom. So Christ is going to appear, and when he appears... The purpose is in establishing the kingdom of God in the earth. Uh, when Jesus was teaching the disciples how to pray, he admonished the disciples, pray, thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth even as it is in heaven. Whether we realize it or not, the will of God has already been established in heaven. The will of God has already been determined it's already laid out, and it's up to us to pray. And the reason we pray is that we conform to what God has already predetermined, predestined for our lives. And that's why he said, pray, thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven, the will of God is already ordained, it's already laid out. And so we're to pray 
that God's will would be accomplished in each of our lives as he's already predetermined in heaven. So we're going to see him come, and then he's going to establish his kingdom in the earth. Knowing those things and charging Timothy before God and our Lord Jesus Christ, his admonition is, preach the word. You know, that's something that we we no longer witness in America today, is preaching. Uh, If you'll notice, for the most part, most ministries evolve around teaching. Now, I believe teaching is essential. Jesus spent three and a half years teaching the disciples. But when he made his annunciation there in Luke 4.18, he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. So Jesus himself identifies the essence of teaching and then the essence of preaching. The, the teaching part of the Word of God has a different anointing. The Spirit of God moves in a different way in teaching. Most teaching is for the Christians who've already come to know Christ as their Lord and Savior. And so the teacher is teaching under an anointing that enables the Christian to begin to grow and begin to mature. Preaching, however, has a different anointing. Preaching brings with it conviction. And that's why you can watch most television radio preachers today. There is no conviction in the message There's no conviction in the messenger because they refuse to preach. Now, uh, the Greek says a preacher is a public crier, one employed by God, and the main purpose by being employed by God is for the purpose of proclaiming salvation. The authority of the preacher lies in the message that God has ordained him, anointed him to bring. Now, we've witnessed through the years all sorts of dispensation in the sense of prosperity, uh, the the faith, the word of faith movement. There's been many trends. There's been many trends that have come forth in the last several decades. But the trend that we're missing is the preaching with conviction and the preaching with authority. The Bible does not say that Noah was a teacher. The Bible declares that Noah was a preacher. His authority was in the message, the judgment of God. The Bible said he condemned the world. Why? Because he was a preacher of righteousness. In Second Peter 2, 5, Peter says, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. The preacher is supposed to preach righteousness. And, of course, you've heard me say, uh, people ask me the question, what is righteousness? The first five letters in the word, R-I-G-H-T, just do the right thing. I was listening to your last guest. I, I, I hear the plea. I hear the yearning in his heart. We've got to do the right thing. But as you could well hear in his voice, 
there's compromise and an unwillingness to do, no matter what, an unwillingness to do the right thing. And, you know, this is why the Bible speaks of our conscience. My conscience is my witness. My conscience is my personal witness. When something comes up in my life, Doug, and let's say it's a little bit nebulous, and uh, I'm somewhat ambivalent. I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of waffling around. If I have a godly conscience, my conscience comes to the forefront. My conscience addresses the issue, and my conscience tells me whether something is right or something is wrong. This is where we get the word conviction. You know, in a court of law. Uh, when someone is convicted, they are found guilty of whatever they were charged with. If they're found innocent, then they're not convicted. I want to look at uh, John chapter 8, because I want, I want to show you what a good conscience does in spite of the person or people or the personage doing the wrong thing. In John chapter 8, beginning at verse 1, it says, Jesus went under the Mount of Olives. And early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down, and he taught them. Again, he was teaching those who were listening to his doctrine, which was totally a different doctrine than the Mosaic law. He, you know, he, he said, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. He said, all of these things are, are going to begin to change. He said, but I say unto you that... Ye resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him the other cheek. So he's in the process of bringing forth these new teachings, better known as the Beatitudes. They're, they're totally in opposition to the Mosaic Law. Everything about the Beatitudes were different in that context. So he's, again here, he's teaching them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? Again, they were trying to trap him because Jesus knew the law, that the woman was worthy of being stoned to death. But as I said, Jesus is bringing in another covenant, a new covenant. Malachi 3, 6, I'm the Lord, I change not. Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. God does not change, but the covenant. Old Testament, now New Testament or New Covenant. So they bring this woman who was literally physically caught in the very act of adultery. They, they're trying to trap Christ, as most people do today in the arena of politics, say, now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him, but Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, and what were they asking him? What should we do? Should we stone her? 
And they repeated this, according to the scriptures, obviously, numerous times. They continued asking him. He lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And he again stooped down, wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last, and Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself, he saw none but the woman. He said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? Hath no man found you guilty of adultery? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Neither do I find thee guilty. Go and sin no more. He was forgiving her of her sins, letting her go free as though she had never sinned because of the new covenant. But here's the secret. The Bible said, And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience. What had happened to them, the very fact that what Christ said, he that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at the woman. You know, a lot of people today walk around with a basket or a sack full of stones ready to hurl them at anyone and everyone. And you know why they can do that, Doug? They don't have a conscience. That's right. You see, my conscience comes to the forefront immediately and dictates whether I'm going to make that admission. Yes, I misrepresented the truth. Yes, I took that object. Uh, yes, I, I failed to pay the bill. Or my conscience will stay buried and I will operate in my flesh and tell a lie or misrepresent the truth. This is why the conscience is such a powerful thing. And so when Paul is telling Timothy, you must preach the word, because when you preach the word, there comes conviction. Now, the conviction doesn't come from the man. The conviction comes from the Word of God, and the conviction comes from the Spirit of God. Now, we know according to John 1, Jesus was the Word. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. When Jesus spoke those words, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. He didn't tell them, how dare you consider throwing a stone? He knew how to draw on their conviction, or let me say, draw on their conscience, and he would know whether or not they had conviction or not. You see, when you're engaging people, and, and for instance, and, and, and Doug and Joe, I'm sure you've done this in private investigating, you've had to ask people questions, and you've been blatantly lied to. You, you know you have been lied to. That tells you very quickly you could not trust that person with hardly anything, or any more questions for that fact. That's right. Because you've already caught them in a lie. You know, I've been watching some of the uh, 
scandalous on Fox on Sunday nights, uh, Bill Clinton. You, you know, you, you forget a lot of things, you know, when they're that old. But, you know, I witness some of the most profuse lying. And, you know, unless a man is regenerated by the Spirit of God, by the Word of God, he doesn't get better. He gets worse. His disposition grows worse. His his convictions are less and less. And you know, he'll tell a, what we say a, a white lie, and now they're just telling full-blown black lies. I mean, they're just blowing the truth to smithereens because the truth is not in them because they don't have a godly or a goodly conscience. And this is the reason, this is the impetus behind Paul telling Timothy, you must preach. And as I said, when a preacher preaches, there is conviction, not from the man, but the, the, the conviction comes from the Word of God and from the Spirit of God because the Word of God is anointed by the Holy Spirit. That's, that's what makes God's Word so powerful. First of all, it is the authority of God's Word. Then that authority is compounded by the fact it is anointed with the Holy Ghost. That, that, that gives the word more power. It, 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 it's the power of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords because it is sovereign. But then it is enhanced even more so because of the Holy Ghost that presides upon it and carries it out. It was the words of Christ with conviction that caused those men that were there, it caused them to be convicted by their own conscience. Now, no man, no mortal man, has ever carried the, the, the amount of anointing that Jesus carried. Now, Elijah had a measure of an anointing. Elisha asked for a double portion of his anointing, and God doubled that anointing, and Elisha did twice as many miracles as Elijah did. But the Bible says in John three thirty four, talking about Jesus, For he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God, for God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. In other words, there was no measurement in the amount of the Holy Ghost that Jesus Christ had in his life. I know I have preached at, at different times, at different places, with different measures of the Spirit of God on my life. Now, I have no way, uh, unless I could ask God and He would honor my request to say, Lord, you know, the, the best anointing I've ever had, well, would you double that tonight? Because I have no way to measure it. But John is telling us that the anointing that was on Jesus, you could not measure it. So he, he had uh, an anointing that was unfathomable. We, we have no ability to comprehend that. But as mortal men, there are limitations on us because of our, our mortality. But a preacher is supposed to preach, and that preaching produces conviction. Now, admittedly, what you see, what you hear, what you witness for the most part today in America is so weak so anemic, so pathetic, it doesn't drive men to repentance. You know, one of the one of the great blessings that this ministry has, I get letters, emails all the time. I am convicted by your preaching. Well, and I, I say, it's not my preaching. It's the Word of God and the Holy Ghost. 
My, my words are just like any man's words, except the anointing is what makes the difference. And, and when, you're, when you're called to preach the word, this is a very solemn calling. Uh, God called me to preach when I was 12 years old. I'm not self-appointed. I'm not self-anointed. I, I rely upon God. I rely upon his word. If I didn't have the Bible to preach, you know, I wouldn't have anything to say much on, on radio or videos or television or whatever. I, I just wouldn't have much to say. My message is the word of the Lord. I'm not an expository preaching where I just um, stipperaneously, just, just you know, having a vast vocabulary. My message is thus saith the Lord. And I give Bible constantly for what I'm preaching because that is the message. I'm just the messenger. So today, if you'll listen to most preachers, you don't hardly hear any Bible. And that's why there's no conviction. That's why you don't see people even making altar calls anymore. I go to churches uh, occasionally that I visit trying to find one. and I mean, it's hardly ever that they make an appeal for people to come to the altar and pray or uh, repent of their sins or, 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 or whatever the case might be. It's just not there. But when you are preaching the Word, the Word of God, the Word is what brings the, the conviction. Now, what, is, what are we supposed to preach? Paul told Timothy exactly what to preach. He said, preach the Word. Well, if you can't find anything to preach from Genesis 1 and 1, to Revelation twenty two twenty one, you know you you you're, you're not a preacher. You know you don't you you need to go fishing or work on computers or something else. But you're not a preacher because that's that's where the message is is in the Word of God. And then Paul uses this phrase: "Be instant in season, out of season." Well, well what does that mean? Well, and and we look at the natural in seasons. We're we're in winter time, so trees are barren, no fruit, no leaves, sap's way down. But in just a few weeks, sap's going to come up. Things will begin to bloom. Leaves will become begin to come out, and we're entering into a season of fruitfulness. Paul is telling Timothy, "I don't care what season it is, winter, spring, summer, fall. You preach the word of God, whether they want to hear it or whether they don't want to hear it." You know, people say today, I don't want to hear it. Well, Paul told Timothy, when you hear that, you keep preaching the word whether they like it or not. But see, today, regretfully, we are in a popularity contest, so preachers preach in a mode, in a method that makes people like them. They, they want people to like them. That's why they're called seeker-friendly churches. You know, they won't use the word hell ever. They will never use the word hell in the pulpit. They'll never use the word adultery, fornication, drunkenness, uh, lying, cheating, uh, transgender, sodomites. They never, they never say or mention any of those things. Yet, the Bible is full of those words telling us how we should live our lives. But yet, when you fail to preach the word, you're not going to say most of those things. Uh, it, it's, I, I'm amazed. Uh, you know, I turned 63 years of age today, and I'm amazed. Happy birthday. What, well, thank you so much. Yes. I appreciate that. Um, I'm 
amazed at the deterioration I have witnessed in my own life, in my own walk with God, from the time that I began to preach and the time we're in now. Now, early on, I preached against sodomy. I preached against adultery. I preached against fornication. But I'd never heard of the word transgender. So what, what's happening? We're getting further away from God. We're getting deeper into sin. You know, uh, xenophobic. You know, I, I, I didn't hear that word when I was preaching back in the 80s. You know, people who hate uh, people from other countries. Um, you see, everything is changing. And so what has it changed for? Why, why is it changing? It's for acceptance. In other words, today, it doesn't matter who you are, what you are, just accept them. Well, the truth is, God does not accept us like we are. That's why we have to repent. After we repent, our sins are washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. Christ comes into our heart. You see, Christ takes up abode in us somewhere in our lives. He, he, he finds a place of residence. Well, well, where is that place of residence? Well, for the most part, that place of residence is in your, in your heart. See, uh, David said, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. I, I, want, I want God to be into my heart. It's not your cardio, your, your, your beating heart, but it's a, it's a spiritual application. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. That, that's how God wants us to love him. But we know today uh, people don't love God like that. Uh, when he told Israel, thou shalt have no other gods before thee, he understood the paganism. He understood how the Canaanites, the Moabites, the Jebusites, the Edomites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, he understood these foreign nations, how that they would affect them, and they would bring them down by introducing to them these foreign gods, these foreign idols, all of these these foreign things. And uh, he, he didn't want them to embrace them. So when they would go and conquer uh, a, a nation, a country, he, he would tell them, kill them all. Don't tear down every idol, burn every idol. Don't leave anything standing. Why? Because he knew they would soon pick up their ways. Uh, you know, we, we have the tendency, uh, we see something, you know, we, we may take an interest and, well, I'll just check it out. Um, I'll just look at it and see what it is. Well, you know, you, you start messing, you start dabbling, and the next thing you know, you've, you've done like Eve, you have partaken of the forbidden fruit, you know. God's will is, is what should be the most important thing in any of our lives. And so when God would command them, what he was telling them, this is my will. This is what I command you to do. Go and do this. If I remember correctly, Joshua conquered 31 cities, 31 kings in a row. I mean, they were like a combine, destroying, conquering. But, you know, after Joshua dies... Uh, Leadership is not being produced, and then we get the book of Judges, 
and they go into sin, bondage, captivity, they get out, they go in, they get out. This continual ritual. This is what's happened to the modern church today because we have failed to preach the word whether people want to hear the word or not. And then, then Paul goes into this litany of things that the preacher should do. And the first thing he said, I want you to reprove. Now, we live in a day when people do not want to be reproved for something they have said, for something they have done. Reproving someone is an attempt to correct what they have done that's wrong. So they need to be reproved. As as parents, we are constantly reproving our children. You know, I've never taught my children to lie. It's been my job to teach them to tell the truth. See, where did where did they learn to lie? I never once set any of my four children down and said, "Now let me show you something, or let me teach you how to lie." That Adamic fallen nature is already in their loins, and it regretfully came from me. So, Doug, if Joe misrepresents the truth. <laughs> He can say, hey, Dad, I got that from you. <laughs> Blame game, you know. But it's the truth. You know, yeah. we, we, are, we are falling in our nature, so we pass that on. So as, an, as a parent, as an adult, it's our job that we live the life that our kids can't point the finger and say, hey, I, I saw you tell a lie the other day, Dad. I, I, knew, I knew you were lying because I knew what you was talking about. I was there. We never want to afford our children that opportunity this is what hurts children this is this is what confuses children you know this is what the pharisees were doing they would say one thing and they would do something else that's why jesus told the the the, the people following him he said don't be like the pharisees they're going to say one thing but they're going to do something else he said they are hypocrites and i don't care if you're 10 years old or 60 years old nobody likes a hypocrite don't admonish me, don't reprove me, don't rebuke me in, in an area, and you turn around and you do the exact same thing, especially when you think I don't know it. That's, that, that even compounds the hypocrisy by duplicity and by deception. And, and so Paul is, is admonishing Timothy how he must preach. Now, let's, let's be pragmatic here. He said reprove and to rebuke. The word rebuke, the word rebuke and the word rebuking is used 32 times in the New Testament. Ask yourself this question. How much rebuking do we see from the pulpit today? What does it mean to be rebuked? It means to be censured. It means to be admonished. It means to forbid someone to do something. It means to, to uh, tell someone their fault. Tell them what they've done wrong. Point it out. And, of course, the, the, the fundamental meaning is, is to prove someone's wrong, to prove someone is, is, is false by having evidence, by having proof. See, that, that's, what, that's what is needed in a court of law, proof. And so Paul is telling Timothy, you must reprove, and you must rebuke. And, and today, you know, you just don't hear anybody saying anything about reproof or rebuke. You just you just don't hear that. But again, this is what the preacher is supposed to do. Now, everyone listening tonight, if you're if you're 
got your Bible close by and you're, you're looking at this with me, I'm preaching from the Word of God. This is not a David Lankford theology or David Lankford ideology. This is God's Word. I'm just quoting from the Scriptures. That's all I'm doing. I'm just telling you what the Word says, and I'm trying to elaborate on it, exegete it, just a small measure, to open the understanding. But again, you don't see that in America much anymore. And then Paul changes the tenor by saying, now I want you to exhort. Well, what is exhortation? Exhortation is for the purpose of edifying the Christian. You know, sometimes some weeks are worse than others, Doug. We get beat down. Things go bad. Things go wrong. And so Paul says, Timothy, I want you to preach the Word and preach Bible that exhorts the people. It lifts the people up. There are times, all of us, every one of us, without a doubt, there are times every one of us need to be exhorted. And and uh, uh, that, that exhortation is an encouragement. That exhortation lifts us up. Uh, that exhortation encourages us. It, it makes us feel good uh, about our circumstance, about our situation. In Romans chapter 12, verses 7 and 8, Paul's talking about ministry. He said, or ministry, let us wait on our ministry. Or he that teacheth on teaching. Or he that exhorteth on exhortation. So, so to exhort someone is to preach in such a manner to lift them up. Uh, Psalms 46, verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a present help in the time of trouble. Uh, Psalms 34, 15, the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are opened unto their cries. Psalms 34, 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. Psalms 50, 15 says, and call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. Psalms 55, 22, cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. Psalm 16, verse 8, David said, I have set the Lord always before me, because he's at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Those are scriptures of exhortation. Those scriptures are to encourage you, to edify you, to build you up. You know, uh, preaching with reproof and rebuke is trying to bring conviction. But then Paul understands the whole uh, life of a Christian. And he says, now, Timothy, there are going to be times you, you need to exhort the people because the people are going to go through times of great trial. Second Timothy 3.12, yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Peter said in First Peter 4.12, he said, beloved, Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice, for inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. So Paul understood as a Christian, there are going to be times that we're going to have such adversity. Paul said, Timothy, there, there are going to be times... As a pastor, you're going to have to, when the people come to church, it's not a time to preach against sin. It's not a time to reprove. It's not a time to rebuke. It is a time to exhort the people because they've been through so much adversity. 
uh, as a matter of fact, the word exhort there uh, is, is one of the Greek words parakleo. Uh, we, the, 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 uh, the word for the Holy Spirit is parakletos. Uh, and what it means when you, Paul is telling Timothy, I want you to exhort the people, he said, I want you to comfort the people. I want you to undergird the people. I want you uh, to, to, to bring, give them a word that comforts them because they're hurting, you know. And then, of course, he says, and you're to also preach with long-suffering and doctrine. Long-suffering. You know, there's been a lot of people that have, that have gotten into churches and they got hurt because the pastor, most of the time, Believe it or not, it's not the pastor. It's the members that don't have the spirit of long-suffering, and they end up running the new convert off because the convert has not matured yet. You know, I had a guy, a motorcycle guy, uh, came to my church, gave his heart to the Lord, him and his wife both. He had a ponytail down below his waist, where his his belt was. And... uh, and I knew there were some people there that didn't like that. So I called, after he came to the first service, I called a, a, a church and pastor's council meeting. And I told all the, the brethren, I said, I better not hear one person in this church telling him he needs to get a haircut. Do you hear me? I said, I'm telling, I'm warning you now, do not go and try to straighten this young guy out. Give him an opportunity. Give him an opportunity. Be patient. Well, it was probably a month to six weeks. He came to church on a Wednesday night. I mean, he come running into Saints where he had his Bible. He said, look here, Pastor. Look here, Pastor. I just read this today. And I said, what is it? His name was James. I said, what is it, James? He said, look here. Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame? And he turned around, he said, my ponytail's gone. See, long-suffering. The the truth was, he was in the Word. And when he read that, the Word convicted him because he had a good conscience, and nobody had to tell him what to do. And sometimes we have to be long-suffering. But here's the key. Doctrine. Now, man... Do I fight fight doctrine? I mean, somebody emailed me today, and I think they said there were seven raptures and four resurrections. (laughs) I'm thinking, wow. Uh, It is amazing what people think they have discovered in the Word of God. Well, Jesus only taught two resurrections. John 5, 28, 29, he said, Marvel not at this. For the hour is coming in which all, all is all, that are in the grave shall hear his voice. They that have done good under the resurrection of life, they that have done evil under the resurrection of damnation. And then he follows that up with Revelation 20 and verse 6, Blessed and holy is he to have part in the first resurrection, on such the second death hath no power. Now, doctrinally, Jesus only said there are two resurrections. I didn't say that, Jesus said that. Jesus told us the two kinds of resurrections. He said the the first one, of course, is the one you want to be in. That's that's, that's the the, uh, blessed 
resurrection. He said, all that are in the grave, whether you're a sinner, whether you're a Christian, doesn't matter. Everybody in the grave is going to hear his voice. The difference is the wicked hear his voice a thousand years later. But he says, and all, they're going to come forth. They that have done good under the resurrection of life. They that have done evil under the resurrection of damnation. Why does he say resurrection of damnation? Because they're going to be resurrected. They're going to stand before God at the great white throne judgment, Revelation chapter 20. He's going to look in the book of life. Their names will not be found, and then they will be damned for all eternity. He will, he will send them away into everlasting punishment. See? So there's the doctrine. Now, to come along and say, well, there's four, five, six, that's not true doctrine. That is false doctrine. And this is, this is why we have the epistles. Now, the gospels are written to every creature around the world. Jesus said, go ye into all the world and preach what? Preach the gospel unto every nation. The gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, after a person becomes a believer, after they become a Christian, it's time to start maturing. It's time to start growing. It is time to start learning. Now is the time we must be taught. Taught what? Taught correct and proper doctrine. So uh, the word do- doctrine there in the, in the Greek means the art of teaching, the art of instructing, the art of tutoring. And, of course, we're teaching the doctrine of the apostles. This, 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 is, this, is, this was what's key. Uh, Jude uh, admonishes us because Jude understood in the last days things are going to get very bad relative to false doctrine. So Jude, in verse 17, says, But, beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, remember what he says there. The apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then we go back and we look at the original apostles. Because it was the apostles that God anointed and ordained to write the word of God. These men did not write just anything. They were inspired by the Holy Spirit. Second Peter one twenty one says, For the prophecy came in the old time, not by the will of men, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. It was the, the anointing of the Holy Ghost that came on these men, and they penned these epistles or these letters, and these letters contained the doctrine to the church and how the church must live and abide. Now, Jesus gave us a measure of doctrine in the Gospels. But when it comes to everyday functionality, the life of a Christian, the lifestyle, anytime you read the word conversation in the epistles, the word conversation does not mean your verbiage, your vocabulary, or what you're discussing with someone. The word conversation means your lifestyle. Thus, Hebrews thirteen five, Paul says, let your conversation be without covetousness. So let's just insert the word lifestyle there, and you'll see how much more clarity it brings on the subject. Let your lifestyle be without covetousness. Be content 
with such things as ye have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. So when you see the word conversation, it's talking about your lifestyle. How are you living your life and your lifestyle? And so the epistles give us the doctrine about the resurrection, about the second advent of Christ, about the great tribulation, about the wrath of God. You know, somebody the other day, they were just trying to be smart and a little, a little cute. Um, they don't understand the difference between the great tribulation and the wrath of God. You have seven seals, seven trumpets, seven vials. They're all distinctly different, and they're all distinctly separate. That's why they're seals, trumpets, vials. They're, none of those things are the same. And so the person was being arrogant, crass, and I've always taught the great tribulation is the wrath of Satan. Revelation twelve twelve. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil is come down unto you having great wrath. Satan is going to give great wrath because he knows that he hath but a short time. That's the great tribulation time frame. That's the great tri tribulation period. So where's the wrath of God? I'm glad you asked. Revelation 15, 1, Revelation 16, 1. And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels, having the seven last plagues, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. Totally separate, totally distinct. Revelation 16, 1, I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. Again, the book of Revelation is like an epistle. It is written to the church. It is written to the churches. It's not written to the world. It's not written to the sinner. It's not written to those. It's written to you and I, the Christian. You know, I marvel, because uh, I, I get this one all the time, too. Revelation 4.1. Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And, of course, they'll say, here after the rapture. So, I've been reading my Bible for 40 years. I haven't seen that phrase in that verse yet. Here after the rapture. You know what that is? That's something that's man-made. That's absolute conjecture. That's all made up. So, that's why I look at that when they say that. I said, sir, that's false doctrine. You're literally making that statement up. Then I'll have people say, well, the 24 elders, oh, that's the church. That, that's, that, that, that's, who, that's, that's who the church is. Okay, you're sure. That, 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 that's, that's who it is. Yeah, they say, that's, that's absolutely. Okay, we, we go to Revelation 4 and 10. The four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne, and worship him that liveth forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. Okay, I'm looking for the word church. Well, I don't see the word church. But yet I'm supposed to believe that's who and what that is. Well, if they took the time to read the Bible... They will see who the 24 elders are. 
Revelation 21, 12, and John's talking about New Jerusalem. And it had 12 gates. And on the gates are the names written of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Not only does the city have 12 gates, the city has 12 foundations. And in them, the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Now, if you take 12 tribes and you take 12 apostles, the tribes of Israel came out of the Old Testament. The 12 apostles came out of the New Testament. I believe if I can add right, 12 and 12 is 24. Now, these were the elders. These are the 24 elders. They were even called elders before the Exodus. They had, they had, uh, they had the elders that were already overseeing uh, the tribes. And each tribe had an elder. I'm not going to get into all of that tonight, but if you'll go back and read uh, Exodus chapter 3 and 4, uh, actually chapters 2, 3, and 4, you will see that, that uh, Moses addresses the elders. Well, the apostles were the first elders, bishops, whatever you want to call them, in the early church. The, the, uh, Ephesians 2, 20 through 22 says that the church is built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. These were the original elders. So there we see them in the 12 gates, their names, 12 foundations. There's their, their names of the, the apostles. And those are the ones casting their crowns. Why? Because both parties, from old and new, have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. So this is why Paul told Timothy, you, you must be long-suffering, and you must preach pure doctrine. You, 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 can't, you can't convolute it. And, and so doctrine is where we get so messed up by what we call false doctrine. In other words, people espouse, they teach, they advocate, they appropriate it as being doctrine. But then when you superimpose the Word of God over it, it becomes false doctrine. Because if it doesn't line up with the Word of God, then it's error. And, and so Paul knew that in the last days, and it didn't take the devil long, man. He, he went, you know, bazonkers. He, he went crazy. Second uh, Corinthians 2.17, Paul said, For we are not as many which corrupt the Word of God. It didn't take the devil long. And he began to corrupt the Word of God. And what was one of the corruptions? You ready for this? The resurrection. Second Timothy two seventeen and 18 says, And their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. This is the problem with false doctrine. Listening to those who are not espousing the truth. And what do they ultimately do? They overthrow people's faith. And Pastor, I, yes, sir? I, I know you're, we're, we're coming towards the end here, but sure. I just wanted to jump in to say this, because there's a, a special on uh, Channel A&E, and they did a two-part series on Waco, Madman or Messiah, and they interviewed survivors from Waco and, and from the Branch Davidians, and to see how much these people's minds were warped, who believed that David Koresh was the actual Messiah. 
it was so frightening to watch these people because they still believed it. And I just, you know, when you have such a, a devout group of people who believe in Scripture and, and the Word of God, and to see that in, in just a matter of a year or two uh, be so taken so far into deception and these people so deceived to the point where husbands are sleeping in separate houses because they believe this guy's God and they should have children with their wives and stuff, it, it was just crazy. But that's just a microcosm of an example of what we see happening in our world today. The Absolutely, being... Joe. And here's the here's the sad thing. I know time is going. False prophets, false teachers, false pastors. Many false prophets shall rise. Not true preachers. Not true messengers. False. And so I I, I would I would dare say for every godly, Holy Ghost spirit filled minister of righteousness, you got a thousand false ones. They 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 they've subtly sown something in there to deceive to trick the people up. And they are called, Paul calls them, Satan's ministers. 2 Corinthians 11, 14. His ministers also who feign righteousness, but they're false prophets. You can read that later on. But I, I, I this is why it's so important to get the truth. That's the only thing that sets free. And folks, as the Lord tarries, it's simply going to get worse and worse and worse. I hope I didn't get finished tonight, but I hope that'll help somebody. Won't be here next week. We'll be in Dallas uh, uh, with uh, Irvin Baxter, great man of God who loves the Lord, shooting some uh, TV with him, and then we'll be at that River Wall Fellowship Church Saturday night, 6.30 p.m., uh, March the 3rd, and I'll just be preaching something, Lord willing, to encourage people, to exhort people. How's that? That sounds great, Pastor. And again, March 3rd at 6.30. And uh, that, that's going to be where again? It's Riverwalk Fellowship, 5612 Glen View Drive, Fort Worth, Texas, 76117. It's on my website. The banner's up. Just go to my website, thevoiceofevangelism.com. And I'd love to see the people in the Dallas area. I know some down there, and we'd love for them to come visit with us and be with us that night. Absolutely. And please go to thevoiceofevangelism.com. That's thevoiceofevangelism.com. Click on the banner. If you're within a day's drive of that venue, please, March 3rd, mark your calendar. That's where Pastor Langford is going to be preaching at 630. And uh, I'm sure space is limited. It will be. I think it's a a very modest church. And, Doug, thank you, you and Joe both, for for promoting this forum. I appreciate that so so much, and I'm, I'm humbled that you'd help me with this. Oh, absolutely. And look, uh, real, real teaching, real God, uh, biblical teaching. So uh, we're looking forward to that. Pastor, happy birthday. Have a great week next week, and we hope we see a few people in Dallas next week. Amen to that. And please, I know we only have an hour and a half left of the day, but uh, please have a great rest of your birthday and, and oh, everyone out there. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate that immensely. God bless you. And tell Renee and Laura we say hello. Okay. All right. All right, you guys have a good night. You too. Bye bye. Hey folks, uh, send Pastor Langford. So send him a, a birthday wish via email. What the heck? Let's all get together and send him one. We're, we're going to do that after the show. And I would urge you all to do that as well. Just send an email by way of his website, thevoiceofevangelism.com. We had a great show. Thank you, John. Thank you, Eric the Tech. And thank you, each and every one of you, for listening and for your belief and your trust in us and our program and our venue tomorrow, 9 o'clock. 
Doug Hagman Radio Show in the 2 to 3, of course, John and Joe, and back here tomorrow night at 7 Eastern Time, right here on the Global Star Radio Network. And all things, go to HagmanReport.com. There you can watch, you could listen, whatever your desire might be with respect to the programs, all of them. Joe? Yeah, absolutely. And we, um, I see CNN is having town hall on banning guns. Going to probably check into that when I get home. But, uh, yeah, keep your eyes on the, the news, some interesting stuff going on, and we will uh, obviously be here the rest of the week. And we got great shows lined up for you Thursday and Friday on all the platforms, so make sure you tune in. Have a great night, everyone. Thanks for listening. We'll be back tomorrow.